welcome to Filmstrip's Star Wars Retrospective Series, where we will review the films of the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. This is madness. Our guides for this journey will be Kurt. I have a bad feeling about this. And Jay. It is obvious that this contest cannot be decided by our knowledge of the Force, but by our skills with a lightsaber. These podcasts will be spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes. The Force will be with you, always. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Kurt. And this is our review of Star Wars, Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, starring Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman, Hayden Christensen, Samuel L. Jackson, Christopher Lee, Ian McDermott, Frank Oz, and the voice of James Earl Jones. Directed by George Lucas, released in 2005 on a budget of $113 million, grossed over $848 million in its box office release. So, Kurt, I remember when this came out in 2005. I just got married, and my wife, much to my surprise, not a Star Wars person, did not grow <laughs> up with this. Uh, you know, oddly enough, we do like a lot of the same stuff. She winds up watching a lot of the stuff that gets reviewed here on Filmstrip with me, and <laughs> for the most part, goes for a lot of it. Not all of it, but <laughs> tends to like a lot of it. But Star Wars was one of those, she was like, nah, you go right ahead. So, like, no love for it at all. So I was alone in my fandom getting ready for this. I was so, like, ready for the movie to come out. I remember buying the PlayStation 2 game and playing it beforehand. <laughs> so it was totally, <laughs> totally, because I, I kind of knew, I mean, you know, so I said, oh, man, you totally spoiled it for yourself. I said, how can it be spoiled? I know how this has to end. <laughs> I was like, this is not, this is the world's worst kept secret. Everybody knows how this is going to go. I just want to see if it's going to be cool. And just from those cutscenes, I thought, wow, this is going to be a neat experience. Went and saw it uh, a couple times in the theater. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I, I have not seen this film as many times as I have some of the others. I'll say that now. But I don't have any lingering bad memories of it, let's say. So I'm, I'm curious to go into this review here to see... You know, ultimately, what kind of uh, you know grade I'm going to give this thing? Because unlike the other prequels, this one also is the one that more or less is not destroyed by the critics. Most most gave this thing a big pass when it came out. Oh yeah, this one uh, definitely get into why this one is the most accepted. Uh, I have there's not too many you know nitpicks people have about this movie of course there are still people that hate this movie but yes i did i also saw this movie uh opening weekend uh in 2005 we literally waited outside the theater doors from the open guy came outside said you guys all waiting to see madagascar and as soon as we went in we bolted and we did the cardinal movie sin of uh rushing under the velvet rope in the maze to get to the ticket booth and looking back i was like why did i do that because as it turned out the movie theater wasn't packed anyway I guess everyone was seeing Madagascar, but, but yeah, I mean, seeing this front in 2005, it's all about those trailers that this movie had yeah. that really set me up for this is going to be good because the trailer put it in like literally one of the teaser trailers opens with Luke looking at the binary sunset and we get Obi-Wan Kenobi. We get Alec Guinness with that exposition of what happened with Anakin Skywalker and Talking about how he hunted down and destroyed the Jedi Knights, cut to this volcanic planet, cut to a voice saying, you know, Lord Vader, can you hear me? James Earl Jones's voice. And we see Darth Vader 
rising up as we see all these various action scenes. And I remember that trailer. That's one of like top five trailers for me. Even looking back at it now, it's like they it just felt like it's it's all about just Darth Vader. You put Darth Vader on that poster, it's like this is going to be it. This is going to be the one we've been waiting for. And yeah, and I'll just say it right now. In a word, this movie delivers. Is yeah. the word delivered? And uh, and I love it. Well, you know, they're going to talk about the Darth Vader theme. When I bought the DVD, one thing I've, I've always enjoyed is the, the art that they put on the DVD art. Because on The Phantom Menace, the main disc is Darth Maul. And on the second one, I think it's it's either Yoda or it's it's Obi-Wan on Kamino. You know? But the, this one, it's Darth Vader against a volcanic backdrop. And you know, I think any Star Wars fan worth their salt at all knew the story that Darth Vader had become Darth Vader because Obi-Wan Kenobi had chopped him up. And dropped him in a volcano. That was sort of the, the way I had always heard it and remembered it. And I thought, wow, you know, I, we're going to see that happen. It looks like, you know, from those trailers. I'm with you. I was jazzed because I liked Attack of the Clones. And we talked about that last time. Yeah. I, I had really gone for that one. So I said, but yes, this is good. No more Phantom Menace crap. This looks like it's going to be awesome because you know it's going to have to end on a huge downer because that's where we pick up with the fourth one. So, you know, th- there's not going to be a bridge movie, you know. Well, and, and indeed, there, there actually was somewhere along the way. <laughs> the Clone Wars, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. so, and it's probably for a good th- reason that we're not. But th- this one was going to be it. So I kind of went in going, yeah, I, not only hoping this is going to be good, I have a feeling this is going to be really good. So I was pumped for this, and I'm with you, just as a general review, this movie works in so many, so many more ways than it doesn't. And I find myself thoroughly entertained by what's presented here. So it is a, it's a good ride. Oh yeah, I mean, unlike the other, like uh, Phantom Menace goes on like a worst of list. Uh, uh, Attack of the Clones was solid, maybe, maybe, maybe number ten on a top ten list of 2002. I have to relook at all those movies, but this one, this is like top five of 2005 movies. Looking at all the great movies of 2005, yeah, History of Violence, Batman Begins, uh, uh, Capote, Brokeback Mountain. This goes on that top five list. This wasn't just a good movie or a you know. Uh, good for the prequel trilogy this was like i watched this and watching it last night this is great and the first thing that came to mind was when i started writing it up it's like it just figures george lucas finally makes a good movie after 1977 what does he do he retires that's just you know (laughs) that's just great yeah, so that 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 didn't, tends to be his cycle. So as, as it were hmm. to go, well, George himself will tell you more of a behind the scenes kind of guy. But these were near and dear, and he wanted to be in the pilot's chair. And and indeed, it's the last time he probably ever will be, and it certainly is the last time he will be on a Star Wars movie. I think they've they've asked everybody, but some of our friends on the Fabish Factor site to come and direct a uh, Star Wars. <laughs> how the Disney's taking over, and I'm not sure that some of them haven't been called, and they just said no. So <laughs> at least to be a part. Part of it. So, uh, you know, before we get any further into this, though, one last time, let's ask our friend John Jansen from the Hollywood Gauntlet to tell us what happens in this episode of Star Wars. Star Wars, Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. Years after the onset of the Clone Wars, the noble Jedi Knights lead a massive clone army into a galaxy-wide battle against the Separatists. When the sinister Sith unveil a thousand-year-old plot to rule the galaxy, the Republic crumbles, and from its ashes rises the evil Galactic Empire, and at its head, the Emperor. Anakin Skywalker is seduced by the dark side of the Force to become the Emperor's new apprentice, Darth Vader. 
The Jedi are decimated by clone troops, and Vader seemingly made the choice of the dark side to save Amidala, who is pregnant. In an epic duel with Kenobi, Vader's one real arm and legs are cut off, and he is left to burn and die on a volcanic planet. However, the Emperor intervenes and reconstructs Vader into the iconic suit known from the original trilogy. Obi-Wan, Kenobi, and Yoda are forced into hiding, where they keep a close eye on the only hope for the galaxy, Anakin's own offspring. Two children, born in secrecy, who will grow up to become heroes, Luke and Leia. So a lot to go through here, and the first thing that strikes me about this movie is the thing that always does every time it opens. I'm just going to throw out a very controversial statement here. My most favorite space battle scene in any Star Wars movie happens Mm. in the opening moments of this film. I like it more than the Return of the Jedi fight. I like it better than anything else I've seen in the prequels. I love all of the crazy stuff that is going on here as Obi-Wan and Anakin are flying in to try and rescue Palpatine, who's been taken hostage by Dooku and something called General Grievous. All of all of that space battle is amazing looking to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I knew this movie was going to be... I always knew this was going to be good, but when we the opening shot is these two ships that we know are the Jedi, you know, starfighters, and we hear the Force theme uh, playing right away. So, like, right away. And then, you know, they're, they're flying for a bit. They're underneath a ship. Then they swoop over, and we're in the middle of the biggest battle we've seen in this series so far. And it's in space. So, right off the bat, we're starting with an action scene. None of this waiting or, or waiting 10, 5 minutes for, for anything, you know, uh, cool to happen. It's like, boom, right away, space battle. Like, like signature Star Wars space battle. And I really knew this was going to be a blast. This movie, it ran like a checklist of things that like Lucas should have done the first time uh, with the prequel trilogies, is just, with the prequel films. is just hearkening back to Star Wars more and more, like literally just dropping lines. Like when the clone trooper says, set S-foils in attack position, I was like, whoa, oh my God, he just said the X-Wing line. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, and that happens so many times through this. Or even Anakin saying this is where the fun begins. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people don't like that. I think I thought that was a well-delivered uh, bit of line. I love Anakin looking happy and you know kind of crazy when, when he when he says stuff like that. Well, he's confident. Like you know what we had always heard about him was he was a great pilot. He was a good friend. You know all this stuff to Obi Wan, which people love to go. Yeah, right. These guys clearly hate each other and blah blah blah. I don't really get that. I mean, every time I've watched Attack of the Clones and then you watch this right after it in particular. You get the camaraderie these two guys had, and you see how badass Anakin really was in a in a star vehicle. Like he can fly in, and he's shoot. And he has some bad ideas too. Like Obi Wan gets overrun by all those cool little buzz droid things, and he he tries first to shoot him off of his wing, and realizes that's probably a bad idea. So, <laughs> and then he just goes in, and he won't leave him. You know, he keeps knocking stuff off of his wing. It makes his turn that much more tragic. And and I, I realize it's done to create that effect, but I like that. I, I don't have any problem with that either. And I, I love all the callback lines. I know they're in there because those are paying fan service to stuff that is to come. But look, in history, that's what happens. People say things, and then they echo them years later. They may phrase it a little differently, mm-hmm. but it's the same thing over and over. That's life. And I, I actually dug that. I'm with you. I thought that was cool. But I love the, the whole uh, uh, 
fact that we are focused in on just these two Jedi pilots while around them is an amazing battle going on. And like part of me wishes there was an alternate cut that was just the battle. Just so I could watch the clones taking on the Separatist army. Another, I mean, uh, MM commentaries pointed out that we see what are basically prototype Star Destroyers in action. We don't really get to see them doing what Star Destroyers are built to do. Like, and like, I love that those shots when they're like right next to another, you know, droid Star Destroyer, just firing their guns at each other, master and commander style. It's Mm -hmm. just like we haven't seen that uh, in a like a Star Destroyer take on something as big as another Star Destroyer. And then, yeah, just as a, I can't believe of all the films. This one was not nominated for Best Visual Effects at the Oscars in 2005. That is a tragedy because this has the best visual effects of the prequel trilogy and, you know, the most impressive effects since uh, Return of the Jedi. And, yeah, that opening battle is just, you know, that was ILM's best work up to that point when it comes to computer effects. I even like the tech, too, the fact that they've got, you know, these – uh, space missiles and stuff like that. I'm like, that's a great idea. Like that harkens back for me to stuff like the last starfighter and things like that. Like when the weaponry is cool, I, I dug it. I, I like I said, I dug the whole smorgasbord of what we, we see here, but here are the things that we're nominating Kurt for best visual effects, King Kong, the Chronicles of Narnia and friggin' war of the worlds. Yeah. I'm sorry. I've seen that war of the worlds movie. <laughs> that is, bullcrap compared to this and that that was just backlash on lucas i think there's there's no way this film did not deserve the nomination for visual effects because this isn't the only scene like this we get we get some incredible scenery just background shot stuff even that is amazing in this film looks looks um looks grand and i watched this twice i watched it on my television and then i actually watched this on my computer while i was like on a road trip and the digital presentation on the on my high def computer screen looks even cooler like it, it is the best looking game i never played you know and i and i love that i love the way that that this whole thing looks and it unfolds and it's also we're getting story as it's going along too because you know we've got stakes right from the get-go like you said there's no setup there's no waiting there's no fish monster telling me what the plan is it's palpatine <laughs> is now under the control of the separatist commander general grievous and count dooku and the Jedi have been sent to go get him. These two Jedi in particular to go get him. And I love even how they, they land in the ship. They tear up those droids because, again, those things are useless against human fighters. <laughs> they go in. And I also noticed something. Notice how they both have blue lightsabers, You know the color yeah. of the good lightsaber. I thought that was neat that they keep that motif. That it's not until you know the fourth episode that Darth Vader will get the red lightsaber. Uh, which is kind of neat. But my first question for you, though, is what the heck is General Grievous? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, uh, General Grievous is uh, my favorite new character of the prequel trilogy. Cool. Uh, absolutely. As a, uh, Just as a as a this is like a new a great addition to just science fiction characters. I love everything about this character i love his his voice if only the rest of the droid army had voices like like that like yeah. like that that uh, what what's a that cylon voice that's the kind of thing they needed and i just loved I, it was a nice laugh when all of a sudden this you know hulking robot thing shows up and starts coughing mm-hmm. and i was just like why would you program a robot to cough and it just that just made me laugh and then of course as we go on in the film it's all we get we just never thought to look closer at his eyes, and we get that close up 
of his eyes. We're expecting to see, you know, red lights or something. And we see like actual animal eyes and skin. It's like, that was a big, that was a big moment for me. It's like, oh my God, he's not a robot. That's why he's coughing. He's an android. He's a, he's like a, he's being kept alive. He's like Robocop being kept alive in this suit. Like Darth Vader, a pro, yeah. like a, he's a, you know, a, he's, that's what he is. He's like a prototype for Darth Vader. Oh, it would have, it would have been nice to have Anakin fight and defeat Grievous to, to link those two characters to see how closely they're, you know, tied together physically like that. Yeah, I do think he is a precursor to what will be Anakin Skywalker. We don't know what his physiology was beyond the fact that he does have a heart and lungs kind of in the same place as a human. So he's this humanoid alien type creature. But I've always been intrigued by this guy. And the only thing I'll say about him is I wish he had been in episode two so I could have gotten to know him a little bit. Hmm. Because it feels like they put him in this and I was like, dang, this is a great character. I hate that he's only in this movie for the few amount of minutes that he is because I liked him too. I like the fact that we learn he's got, he's got four arms. He knows how to use Jedi tactics. I mean, he can use the force and he can like twirl four lightsabers at you at once. I mean, he said uh, on a video game standpoint, by the way, the dual mode of that uh, PlayStation two video game, he's the best character to play with because you got yeah. four, four arms going at the same time. He's, he's really, really good. So I, yeah, I liked the grievous thing too. And I liked most of the fact that He's not wasted, and I, maybe you know I'm asking for something that would have made it you know lesser if if he had had a lot of screen time beforehand. But I just wish there had been more of him. But I, I like you know that he is definitely all about the stakes. Like he every time you you think you've got him cornered, he seems to be able to find a way to get out of it. I mean, he does some pretty elaborate stuff, man. Like he throws, he breaks open the glass of the spaceship, and then he repels himself back to it to get on an escape pod. And it, I don't know, it the guy's pretty pretty uh, daring uh, to be you know, evil henchman, which is essentially what he is. He is a great character, and I never th- I never occurred to me. It kind of does depress me to think that man Lucas could have had this guy in Episode One. He's the same color as you know the the the, the battle droids. He would have been perfect to have in Episode One, leading that battle against the uh, the Gungans or or whatever. He would have been perfect to have in all three. Uh, but alas, they just they didn't. And there's a great feature on the DVD, my favorite feature on the DVD, where they just show the design guys at Lucasfilm uh, coming up with you know thirty different. Like, we need an apprentice character. We need mm-hmm. a, a new villain for this. So what do you got? And they show, you know, uh, like 30 different drawings of 30 different, very different characters. And Luke is looking, looking them over and approving them. Some of them looking too close, like like literally looking like Darth Vader, like black and metallic. It's like, eh, it's too close to Darth Vader. This, you know, one of them one of them was just like some, you know, emperor, like little child kid. And he's like, yeah, the ultimate in terror, a kid. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and yeah, then he saw this General Grievous. He's like, you know. That's it. And uh, I think it was a droid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, if, I, I might be wrong. I think he might have came up with the, the notion of how about he has animal eyes and going, then they went down that path and made him, you know, something much more impressive than just another droid. Yeah, it's it's a great bit of uh, of work and costuming and everything. I thought it was is fantastic and well played by the voice actor too. I loved it. But my question is, okay, he's the apprentice to. Dooku, who is also the apprentice to Darth Sidious. Am I, do I have that right? Because I feel like I'm a little behind on, on the who's apprentice to whom here. Something like that. Like Dooku's in control of the Separatist army and, you know, General Grievous is his number two and, you know, and, mm-hmm. and Sidious is number one like that. Okay, I, I guess I guess I can see it that way. So, but the thing is, and this is what I, I wanted to ask you, does uh, Grievous not know that Palpatine's really behind all of this? Hmm. 
because it's played that he doesn't know that, that he, he is really leading the separatists. Well, uh, yeah, I guess it's just one more person, you know, that uh, Palpatine is lying to and keeping in the dark, as it were. Because, yeah, I, I suppose it doesn't serve any purpose to tell him, you know, I'm actually the Supreme Chancellor. Yeah. So, the, so he allows himself, and this is the thing that gets me, is the Chancellor essentially has his apprentice take him hostage, right? Why do that? Unless Dooku is also not aware that they are one and the same. Is that what we're led to believe? I'm thinking this is, I think in this whole movie, Palpatine is going about all this, like he goes about that kidnapping because he knows the Jedi will come for him. He knows it'll probably be Anakin and Obi-Wan and they will kill Count Dooku, making way for a new apprentice for That'll be Anakin. That's that's how I look at it. Okay, see, I thought it was a setup. I've always believed this was a setup to get rid of one, if not both, of the guys beneath him so that he could bring Anakin to the dark side. That's yeah. what, what he wanted. And the way it plays out, when they arrive and they take on Dooku, Obi-Wan kind of gets shoved off to the side and dropped on you know some furniture on him. And once it's over, Palpatine's like, leave him, we ain't got time. And Anakin's like, we got plenty of time. What's what's the problem? So, you know, yeah. But it's almost like he wanted to get rid of you know the, all the threats that were in the way of Anakin um, along the way, and it you know it just has to play out a little longer than maybe he initially wanted. So I I, I like it. when you watch the film and having gone through it and know the story and stuff, you can sort of go back and look and say, okay, this is the Emperor sort of reworking his plan as it doesn't work out the way he thinks it does the first time, which is kind of neat because most of the time, evil genius in a you know film, especially sci-fi fantasy films, their plans are almost flawless or they're completely flawed, like they're never in between. And I kind of like the fact that it's sort of like, okay, well we'll have to adjust on the fly here. And yeah. that's essentially what he does. But let's talk about the duel with Dooku, yeah. Obi-Wan, and Anakin again. The the part two of what we got in Attack of the Clones. Oh, yeah. I love like I love how we open. Like, this is the, this is the uh, quickest we've gotten to a lightsaber fight in the Star Wars series. And I like that. Like, boom. Like, usually they save it towards the end. It's like, boom, here we go. Lightsaber fight. And I love it. I love seeing Count Dooku in action again. The last time uh, we see a... No, scratch. Edit that one. I love that uh, duel. And I love how Obi-Wan does get taken out. And my favorite part of it, it's just, it's just a one line. But when when Anakin and Dooku are locked in and Dooku says, I sense fear in you, Skywalker, just hearing Christopher Lee say Skywalker like that, mm-hmm. that to me, it that just triggered more, you know, uh, original trilogy stuff. Just hearing someone say Skywalker like that, it just that, I don't know why. That just got to me. It's like... Jesus, now this really feels like Star Wars. Someone's saying Skywalker. Uh, I'll tell you the line that always gets me is the one where he says, you have hate and anger, but you don't use them. Oh, yeah. And then he strikes at him, and I'm like, wow, that's good. Because that, that book ends later on with the way Palpatine uses that against him. We'll talk about that when it comes around. But, yeah, I, lo- I love the way it's delivered, too. And Christopher Lee, I mean, you know, again, Obi-Wan gets put to the side. But eventually Anakin takes off not one, but both of his hands yeah. and grabs his lightsaber and has got him, you know, dead to rights, as it were. And... I love the way Palpatine says, kill him now, you know, in that, that deep yeah. emperor-esque voice. Like, he'll swap the voice in and out, yeah. and I love the way that that's sort of subtly done. And how Anakin relents to it and says, yeah, sure, and he decapitates him. And I'm like, man, already, what a dark, dark film for a Star Wars film. Anakin Skywalker just decapitated and unarmed prisoner. 
Oh yeah, yeah, and using the two lightsabers like a pair of scissors like that. I yeah. like that was a nice little lightsaber bit we haven't seen before. It's like when he when he you know cut his arms off and then has the two lightsabers against his neck like a pair of scissors. Are like whoa, you know this this movie is definitely going dark. And then it's like it's kind of it is surprising. All of a sudden, like he does it. It's like seeing you know Batman kill the Joker. It's like he actually did it. He cut that guy's head off just like that. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's one of those deep moments. He's like, wow. I didn't, and then he even has remorse for it. That's the thing is he unlocks the Chancellor and he's like, I shouldn't have done that. That's not, that's not how we do stuff as Jedi or whatever. And I love how Palpatine does the little logic thing with him like, oh, well, you know, he cut off your arm. You wanted revenge. After all, it's not the first time. Remember what you told me about the Sand People? And I was like, wow. So now we really know that Anakin has a special relationship with the Chancellor that we haven't really known was there before. We, we've kind of seen that the Chancellor was an admirer of his, admirer of his maybe, but do, do we know that they had a relationship? Uh, not really. And that's really what this film in a lot of ways is about, is how strong that relationship is and how influential Palpatine is over Anakin. Oh, yeah, and I'll just say it right now. The best performance in this film is Ian McDermott. Yes. I even back then, in 2005, I was watching this. Uh, in the first two movies, you know, Palpatine was fine. He was, you know, a decent character. But in this one, as he turns more and more to being the Emperor we, re- we remember from Jedi, it was one of my favorite performances of all of 2005. I heard some people say that he should have been up for an Oscar. Maybe he's, he's a little too campy, maybe for an Oscar nod, but I thought he was sensational. Like how Christopher Lee felt like a proper Star Wars character in clones. In this one, McDermott really harkens back to Star Wars. I really felt like I was watching, you know, uh, we'll, we'll get to the big moment involving the Emperor uh, halfway through the film. But yeah, he, McDermott, he, he, he's amazing in this movie. I, I agree with you. The best performance in the film. And, and I think also he elevates the performers around him by how good he is. And I don't know that he deserved an Oscar or not because it is very campy. I mean, it is a, a campy villain role he's playing. But I think it needed that. I think if you played this too straight, it would be, I don't know, pretentious. And that would, that would just wouldn't work. You know, like in this, the way he plays it with just the gusto of, damn it, I'm evil and I like being evil, you know, and I'm just going to be all evil all the time now is a refreshing bit because most of the time you don't see that. There's always some reluctance to the evil guy. Well, no, this guy is so given over to the dark side. Like he can't do anything. He could go out on a beach in Miami and he's still shaded. He's so dark side. Like this guy is dark side. And I, I liked it. I love the performance. And I'll say now, too. I think the scenes he has with Hayden Christensen are some of the best that Hayden Christensen gets to act. It, it shows you some of the stuff that Hayden Christensen can do as an actor. If you've seen uh, some of his better performances, and especially if you've seen him do anything kind of sinister, like Shattered Glass, which is a real sinister kind of film where he pa- plays this pathological liar. I mean, you you see it, you know, here, and it's the same thing. And I thought it was amazing performance by McDermott, and he really gets a lot out of Christensen as well. Yeah, Christensen, he has improved between uh, – he's he's not so much uh, brooding as he was in uh, in Attack of the Clones. In this one, he goes full out more, you know, just evil psychopath a few times. Yes. Uh, and very dark and, you know, doing going about some of his stuff with no emotion. Like when he kills the separatist guys later on, like he has no expression on his face. He's just like the guy, the guy standing in front of him saying, you know, please don't kill me. He just slices him right in the chest. Like that, that – 
By the way, that had to make you stand up and cheer because you the, hated the, that the way they built forever. <laughs> oh yeah, I I can't tell you what a joy that was to see that character. Like I'm, I I hated seeing him in clones again, and when he showed up in this, I was just like, oh here we go again. But again, Lucas, he re- it just seemed like he was trying to fix. It almost is like he set up all this crap in the first two <laughs> movies. Because he knew how much audiences were going to love it when he tears it all down. All of the characters from the prequel trilogy that get killed in this movie, uh, it's except for Padme, it's 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 pretty exhilarating watching them get taken out. Like getting like seeing Mace Windu go. It's a combination of seeing, oh man, there goes a good guy. But on another hand, it's like I, I, I never really liked that guy. I'm glad to see him go. There's so many moments like that, and we have with Newt Gunray begging for his life in front of Darth Vader and Darth Vader pauses, slice him in the chest. Yeah, exactly. Stand up and cheer, standing ovation. Thank you, Lucas. Because again, <laughs> again, saying how, you know, between Phantom Menace and clones, Lucas upped his game. Between clones and Sith, he seriously upped his game. The writing maybe still is not that great. There's some clunky lines in here. But as a storyteller, I think... As a, like a visual filmmaker, he like this is this is his best film since '77. Now, of course, he's only made the four movies. <laughs> I'll say this about the clunky dialogue: I think most of it is in the romantic dialogue that is supposed to be happening between Padme and Anakin, and that's always been a little clunky. And to their credit, those two actors go, "Look, we know this is Hallmark card bullshit, so let's just read it and smile and just get through it." And thankfully, and I remember thinking this the first time I saw this movie, I was like, "You know, the thing they really did right on this is they kept the romance to like twelve seconds and no more at a time on the screen and that is exactly what needed to happen because the rest of this film needed to go on and and we had other things to do and i appreciated that for one yeah the the romance actually i heard a lot of people saying like that scene where they're you know where she's like combing her hair talking about where they're gonna you know live after the baby's born a lot of people say oh that is terrible i disagree i love that scene watching it the second time i love how literally like lovey-dovey just like you know schmoopy they're in love because it makes the turn that much more i mean disturbing like how he's like you know like you know are you so in love and it's like when they're like you know no no i'm so in love with you cut to later on when it's like you know it's like uh, i promise you you won't like i promise you i promise you you won't die it's like like it goes from like they're in love to can to worry concern to panic to what eventually happens between Anakin and Padme at the, at the end on the volcano planet. You know what I love about it is if they had cut it as, no, I'm so in love with you, then, they would, then it would be horrible. But the fact that she goes, so you're blind, basically, is what you're trying to tell me. Like, they play it off as a joke or whatever. I actually thought that was sort of endearing. I was like, yeah, you know what? I kind of like that, that it would, that it was be, it was not only cute, but it was just sort of funny. You know, like, that was how they played it as a joke. I, I was cool with that. I had a laugh with it. I, I didn't have any problem with that. It, it comes off a little schmaltzy, but then again, as I've said, this movie is campy. It's got to be. I mean, good grief, it's a space fantasy. If you want to watch realistic or, you know, dour human relations or whatever go watch a wes anderson movie for goodness sakes <laughs> you know don't don't watch this expecting that i was fine with all all of that stuff and the fact that again they didn't belabor the point they just got it over with and we we moved on i i was fine with it and it, i'm with you it does make that turn much more tragic as it goes through because that's the thing we find out is he doesn't know she's pregnant 
you know, he doesn't get that until he and Obi-Wan get back on Coruscant and Obi-Wan goes to meet with one group and he goes another way and he meets up with her and she's like, I have some great news. Uh, we're having kids. And he's like, wow. And it, I love the way he plays it. Like, wow. I, well, you know, there was only that one time six months ago, but I guess so, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. I thought it was. I thought it was cool. I, I was down with that because you knew that was going to have to happen, right? Like at some point, we got to get Luke and Leia born, right? So we we yeah. got to make it work. And I love that we start off with this motif, and it runs throughout the film of these dreams he has of her dying somewhere in you know, childbirth, presumably. It's weird because watching these movies, it's weird. Like you, you kind of forget when you watch Phantom Menace, like when when you see Anakin falls in love with someone. It almost you almost forget. It's like, well, whoever he falls in love with, whoever Luke's and Leia's mother is, they're gonna die, because you know because they don't show up in the original trilogy. So, so yeah, when when Vader, I mean, when Anakin is having these dreams of her dying, he doesn't realize how accurate they are, and that's tragic because we, we the, it's like the audience knows more. Like we know, oh, that's gonna happen. We know that she's not gonna make it, and he doesn't. And you almost want to tell her. You almost want to tell him. It's like, look, look. There's nothing you can do. Like it's it's gonna happen, and if he knew that, maybe he wouldn't do all the horrible stuff he does. Right, exactly. And and we also realize too, we get confirmation that General Grievous doesn't know, you know, who's behind all of this because he takes his orders from Sidious, who tells him move the Separatists to Mustafar, and so he says, okay, it's done. And so all that's part of the plan again being worked out and. We do get another scene, or we get our really our first scene with with Palpatine and Anakin when they're back out of the you know harm's way, and I love how both sides are going to get played here. He said, "I'm appointing you to the Jedi Council because I need your help. I need you to let me know what's going on on the Council because I have reason to believe that the Jedi don't trust me, and I need to figure out what's going on." And I love the response of the Council. It's kind of like the government's now going to go appoint the bishop at the church. I don't think so. And, and especially Mace Windu is totally against this idea and tries to block it right at the front. And I, his reaction pretty yeah, brasses him off pretty, pretty big. I think both of them are pretty mad at each other at that moment. And uh, I like that that sets up, though, what happens, you know, in the in the turn of the second act to be that much more, I don't know, eventful because you see Windu and Skywalker really on at odds with each other again. Oh yeah, what, what what went through my head is seeing how, you know, quickly, Anakin's being risen through the ranks and how upset he is that it's not fast enough. It made me think of Yoda when he's like, if when he's talking to Luke, it's like if you chose the quick and easy path as Vader did, yeah, that's what he's talking about there. Yeah, exactly. It's the total quick and easy path, and it's it's instead of earning his way up, he's basically got the kind of powerful friends that can make that move for him, and Palpatine's one of them. And then on the other side of it, they want the the council said you know gets obi-wan to take anakin aside at the end of it and go look we need you to spy on the chancellor for us so now anakin like you really start to feel for the dude that he's really in a rock and a hard place here you know his closest confidant in the capital besides padme is telling him i need you on the council to be you know my eyes and ears and then the council says yeah okay that's fine but we need you to spy on him to us too oh yeah and then you got padme who's saying, you know, you should try to convince him to just end the war and, you know, let's go to peace. So, like, I love that we start off Anakin is just being pulled in all yes. these different directions. And, like, he's got so – he's got literally so much on his mind. He's like, literally, there's a war going on. There's uh, 
and he's, there's a war going on. He's being told to spy on the, on, the, on, the, on the chancellor, and he's got this thing in the back of his head that's like, I'm having dreams about my wife dying in childbirth. So it, you can see he's ready to like he's ready to snap in this move. Like well, I, I love how they build that up. And let's also not forget, it's his wife in secret because people don't know they're married. They don't know he's the father. That's still a lie that they're living now in front of everyone. And so you know, they have to keep that up. And so it's how much, how many, how much more weight can you add to this guy's psyche besides what's already there? Oh yeah, and yeah, I, I you mentioned how you like the reaction of when he say, when they say uh, I'm pregnant. I love how neither of them are seem very happy about that. Oh, Anakin is really struggling to f- try and be happy about that for Padme, but he's just like, he couldn't get any worse news because Jedi can't have kids. If they find out that you got a kid, you're no longer a Jedi Knight. So this is like, this is just bad news all around. Yeah, uh, yeah, and she also realizes this is going to expose him and me and probably ruin both of our careers, you know, which they both, let's face it, were career people. That's what they were into. The last movie, that was kind of, clear for both of them they fell in love but their careers were very important to them their ideals were strong and now they've kind of thrown a wrench in it together right oh yeah it's like you know anakin really has like that's his whole thing is like being a jedi he's like he he needs uh like being a jedi is all he's got that's his only like he needs like purpose in his life you know he like he wants to be a jedi master he probably wants to take over from Yoda someday. That's how he's looking at it. So the idea of being expelled from the Jedi and having literally nothing to live for like that, nothing to do, like that, that really scares him. Well, and I, I love, too, the discussions that are going on outside of his own knowledge about you know, between Obi-Wan, Mace Windu, and Yoda, you know, about him. And Obi-Wan's the one like, wait a minute, wasn't the, he the one that the prophecy was going to bring balance to the Force? And I actually wrote down after Yoda says, Ooh, prophecy may have been misread. I was like, now you tell me. And, yeah. and I, I do think you said before, you know, Lucas was trying to fix some of the stuff that he had sort of thrown out there about the Force that just, you know, brussled people or whatever. I think that's him going... Yeah, just forget all that prophecy stuff we talked about. That's yeah. not important. So, and uh, and, and uh, I don't know. I, I thought that was I, it was pretty pretty well done, well played by by both of them because it eschews that to the side, but it also puts it back in our minds that like, okay, if he's going to bring balance to the force, well, it, oddly enough, that prophecy is not wrong, Kurt. He does yeah. it just not in the way that you know we would think most directly, right? It's he brings yeah. balance to the force by ultimately destroying the emperor and helping his son Luke Skywalker. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. but it just happens to be he does it 29 years later or whatever. So it's, you know, he just doesn't do it on their timeline. So I was okay with that. I thought it was cool, but I love the conversation that Padme has with him too. Have you ever considered we might be on the wrong side? And I was <laughs> like, yes, because that's the thing that is obvious about this. The Grand Republic is just the the Empire. The Separatists are basically pawns, but some, and some of them are the seeds of the Rebellion. That will ultimately strike the empire down, but the republic is the empire. It just doesn't know it's the empire. Yeah, you know. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's what a great way to tell the the tragedy of of all of this. In that the people who we have always thought are the good guys are actually not so much the good guys. And you mentioned it earlier, and I wanted to go back to it. The way Samuel L. Jackson plays it here, the way he plays Mace Windu, I don't think we're supposed to like him. I don't think we're supposed to trust him. I think as much as he is against people who, you know, Chad Palpatine and others who are trying to grasp so much power, he too has a lot of power. and He doesn't want to give it up. 
you know, and that's the struggle here is who's going to say, who's going to rule the galaxy, the Jedi or the empire. And, you know, the Jedi lose in this, but hmm. it, it, normally you would think we want to root for the Jedi, but there's nothing about the Jedi council that gives me uh, belief in the fact that they could rule the galaxy. They don't seem to be able to rule their own roost. Oh yeah. And that brings me, you know, us right into that great uh, scene with the opera where, where uh, Palpatine is talking about, I love how the the way he gradually starts talking about. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But isn't the dark side of the Force great? Yeah. And he and he and how <laughs> like out of nowhere he starts talking about the dark side of the Force. And I love how you know Anakin's like, well, you know, the Sith, you know, they they just think about themselves. And Palpatine <laughs> rightly says, and the Jedi don't. And then you start thinking about how the Jedi have been acting in this prequel trilogy, and it's like, yeah, the, the Jedi really. They're just they're just pawns. Uh, they're just uh, you know soldiers with lightsabers. That's really all they are in the prequel trilogy. They're not this grand order of you know of, of priests or something that they were in the old republic you know a thousand years ago. They're just a bunch of that's what they are. They're just a bunch of soldiers with lightsabers. That's all they're doing in the galaxy right now is fighting a war. And it's like yeah, the way Palpatine is just like you know are they really? It's like are they really all that Anakin? It's like really think about it. What are they doing? Well, and this is a standard archetype, too. If you know anything, you've read any of the Bible or anything like that, like the best portrayals of Satan that have been taken out of that and put into literature and stuff are not this evil horned figure that overbears on you and stuff, but this sly, seductive, somewhat logical, emotionally driven, seems to make sense guy that just sort of convinces you, like, is it really all that bad? Like, go back to even, like, the story of Garden, of the the story of the Garden, you know, the fall of man or whatever. Eve's tempted, you know, because she said, we were told not to eat that fruit because we would die, and Satan's line to her is, you won't die, you'll just know everything he he knows, and he don't want you to know that. And I'm I'm watching this scene, and every time I've watched it, I'm like, this is exactly the same thing. (laughs) It's, It's that seductive side of dark of the dark side and also and it's one of the things like watching a show like game of thrones gives me an even better perspective of is depending on you know the day of the show and the chapter you read is whether or not you're on the dark or the light side yeah. you know and and you know somebody that you think oh is total dark side jamie lannister for instance dark yeah. side guy right now later on not so much <laughs> you know maybe yeah. and you kind of get like in my mind i'm like there are like stories to be told like if you could do a set of films that was all like the prequel trilogy, but from totally from Palpatine's point of view, this would be a very different story, yeah. <laughs> you know, about how overzealous these Jedi are and they've gotten out of control. And I've got to get <laughs> some people that are on my side. And I, I don't know. I just dug it, but I love that whole Cirque du Soleil thing they got going on and yeah. how he tells that story, you know, of Darth Plagueis, the wise and good as a point of view. And I, I love how he drops a line in there. I don't know if you caught it or not. I'm sure you did, but the whole bit about, you know, he was so powerful. He could even influence the midichlorians to create life. And he's just staring at Anakin, like, like <laughs> you, and I thought, aha, now that I kind of like, that they bothered to explain one of the worst things about The Phantom Menace, yeah. the virgin birth thing. This scene, I've heard a lot of different interpretations of it. Now, mm-hmm. one is that whoever this Darth Plagueis is, that is the person who created Anakin somehow. Another version is that Palpatine is Darth Plagueis and that he created uh, Anakin. Uh, and I've heard one more is that that uh, whoever this Darth Plagueis is, you know, doesn't matter, but Palpatine is the one who killed him. Yeah. Uh, and, but I, I love that when you talk about, you know, Garden of Eden and, you know, the, the apple, 
that is what this concept is. Oh, and I love the line and how, you know, this, the Jedi hate this set, the dark side of the force, but cause you know, the, but the dark side of the force is a pa- pathway to many abilities. Some consider to be unnatural. Mm-hmm. The way McDermott plays that line in the music, that is spooky. That means like, yes. Oh man, like, cause we've seen force lightning and stuff. It's like, and you know, choking people. It's like, well, what else could you do if you really went dark? And that's what Anakin is thinking. It's like, well, if I, maybe if I went really dark and, and went to the dark side of the force, you know, maybe this could work. And maybe, who knows, maybe this whole, you know, he could create life. Maybe it's total bullshit. And it's just like, <laughs> he's just literally telling Anakin what he wants to hear to get him on his side. Because, of course, in the end, we don't ever get to see evidence of this life force power because Padme dies. We don't get to see if that was true or not. So I like the idea that, it, you know, that it might not exist at all. But I just, that's a, it is a great scene. It's great, and I think you're right. I think it's open for all those interpretations, and that's what makes it great. The fact that you can sit and talk about it, you can watch it. It's kind of like the end of Inception. You know, is that heaven? Is that hell? Is that real? Yeah. What do we know? Does the top turn? Does it matter? You know, all that, that discussion is the same about this. And that's when I realized, even way back in 2005, that this was a good movie because it gave me things to talk about that I yeah. wasn't talking about in depth certainly after episode one and, and even mostly after episode two, cause it was pretty well self-contained this one. I was like, yeah, that gives me something to discuss with people for a long time. And there's a lot of back and forth and I'll only offer this thing. There seems to be a trend with these Sith. If you've noticed this is that whoever their apprentice is, they're basically just there to <laughs> learn as much as they can so they can screw <laughs> the master over and move on. And Anakin even pays that off later on. He's like, come on, yeah. man, we'll kill the old guy and run the thing together. And he lays that same you know track on Luke years later. I come on, we'll kill the emperor and do this thing together you know it's it's the same it's the scott evil thing yeah. you know saying <laughs> and i love that i'm like man there are there's no honor among thieves maybe the only trustworthy sith uh was uh darth maul <laughs> he didn't yeah. seem to want to kill anybody except uh, <laughs> except the, the two jedi but and he did kill one of them so i yeah i i don't know i i thought that was neat but i think it is played for a lot of ways and probably the thing we are to take away from it is that palpatine can say whatever he needs to to get people to do what he wants them to do he doesn't have to use magic to influence them. I mean, he could, but he doesn't really have to. All he's got to do is just convince people to do what they're sort of already meant to want to do anyway. He's just going to make it easy for them. Because that's the hard thing is to get people to do things is one thing. To get people to do what you want, you've got to make it feel like it's their idea. Like, you know, isn't that, isn't that really the, the root of all of this? It's like, well, I could just get Anakin to go to the dark side. You know, it, all I have to do is have Obi-Wan, you know, look like he killed Padme, and that would be all it would take. But that's too easy. Let's let him b- bring himself there, because then he's totally bought in. Then it's his idea, and that is even darker. And I, I love this whole scene and this whole bit of dialogue back and forth between them. It's just, it's wonderful, and it totally hooks me in to everything that's going on in this movie. Two things. Like, one is that, I wonder if Lucas was 100% thinking about this when he was making the movies that we know in these entire three films, anyone who's seen the three films, it's like, you know, duh, but we're looking at it's like, we know that this guy Palpatine is the emperor. We know it's going to happen. So when Palpatine starts talking about the dark side of the force, we know it's like, this is the emperor. This is not, this is the emperor talking. This is that guy from Return of the Jedi with the force lightning. Anakin doesn't know that, but we do. Yeah. I love it when the audience knows more than the characters. And, and I just love how, we can see Anakin, he's just, and this is the threat, this is, you know, the the whole thing about Anakin in this movie is he will do anything if he thinks it'll lead to saving Padme. And that's that just, that doesn't justify, but that's his justification for everything he does in this movie. He thinks that this ends with 
him and Padme living together, living happy, happily ever after. Uh, and he and and Palpatine knows that he's willing to do whatever it takes to save Padme because he's been watching him this over the years. It's like he he knows this is the way to this guy's uh, heart is Padme, and if I basically this is the, it's the easiest way to control him. And of course, this leads to Vader in Empire knowing what's the best way to get a hold of Luke. Well, let's torture his friends, you know, yada yada yada. Exactly. You go after the thing that can distract the the people, and you get them off their game. And that's it's a play by the Sith. It's what they do, you know. And I I don't know. I like it again. I love this, and I love how the rest of Act Two really splits into two pieces again. You have Obi Wan going to take out General Grievous and and all of that, and you've got Yoda in this battle with the Wookies. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. And then you've got Anakin and what goes down with him, the Council, and. Uh, Palpatine. So let's do those in, in that order. Let's talk about Obi-Wan's adventure here first, because mm. I love the fact that Obi-Wan gets sent on another, uh, you know, another detective story, kind of like he did last time. That you know, Let's go see if this is just a you know, wild chase, or is this actually something? And it turns out to, he gets there, and they're like, oh, there's nothing here, and then like the scary tall guy that looks like he's a ripoff of one of the Hellraiser movies leans over <laughs> and goes, um, hey, uh, over there past uh, Pinhead, yeah, that's the guy you want. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I actually thought that was pretty cool. And, and I was like, yeah, that's him. And then when he turns around, he's like, is he bringing more warriors? He didn't say, be quiet. You know, the way, <laughs> the, the way he plays that. And I'm like, I don't know if that's done on purpose or not, but I've always liked the sort of the, we're trying to keep that on the down low that the Jedi are here to help. And well, <laughs> what we know is that he's got a battalion of clones, uh, but, you know, waiting at his command to come and, you know, swoop in there and take out the, the secret hiding place of General Grievous in this army. And so I love how, I, you know, Obi-Wan doesn't waste any time, like, radioing back and talking to people. He's like, okay, I've just seen Evil lay out the plan in front of everybody there, and he sends them off to Mustafar. So he just drops to the floor. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, I interrupt you? So, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like uh, Jules when he shoots the guy in Pulp Fiction, like, oh, I apologize. Did I break your yeah. concentration? Please continue. Oh, yeah. And uh, he breaks out the lightsaber, and Grievous, of course, reveals that, oh, I got four of those, homeboy. And then, yeah. then they go at it. And I love the entire fight, the chase on the motorcycle with the lizard thing, the whole thing with him and Grievous facing off while the clones attack. Oh, yeah. And I got to point out, when uh, when Obi-Wan drops down, he says, hello there, which <laughs> is the first thing we hear Alec Guinness say in Star Wars. That, again, callback yes. like lucas knows what he's doing when he says when he has you know let's have obi-wan say hello there when he's a, when he drops in to kill this guy and yeah when when uh grievous says i learned these how i learned the jedi arts from count dooku and he pulls out two lightsabers it's like oh this is gonna be good and then his arms split and all of a sudden now he's goro he's got four <laughs> arms four lightsabers and it's and when he pulls out four lightsabers like turns like all of them on one at a time and then when he's crouched down and he has the two top lightsabers spinning like helicopter blades, grinding the, the ground in front of him. That is a fantastic uh, visual. That is badass. And again, points to like why General Grievous is my favorite new character. It's like, it's like, it almost makes me think, man, Obi-Wan almost took him out too easy. Because it's like, how the hell do you <laughs> beat that? And, you know, of course, the benefit is like, well, you know, he knows how to fight with a lightsaber, but he doesn't have any use of force. 
Yes, and that's the thing is that Obi-Wan starts using the Force, and we get to see Obi-Wan in probably his best lightsaber fight you know, <laughs> I, up to this point. I mean, it is a grand fight, and uh, Ewan McGregor really goes for it here. And maybe the best one he's had since the, the throwdown with Darth Maul, which was over kind of quick, too. You know, And I like the fact that this one lasts a little while, but I'll tell you one thing, though, that gets me. I... I I don't know if I would have been more satisfied with it, whatever. I just kind of always wished he would have beat him with the lightsaber. Because ultimately what happens is they get into a fist fight. He grabs a gun and shoots him three times in the chest. And that's kind of it. You know, and he even does like, oh, that was kind of uncivilized. Hmm. And sort of throws the gun to the side. But I was like, wouldn't it have been better if he chopped him into you know multiple pieces, one arm at a time? Well, uh, I actually really like the uh, twist of not killing this, you know, not having... Obi-Wan kill a guy with a lightsaber because that's what we've been seeing in, the, in these movies is Obi-Wan beating a guy with a lightsaber mm-hmm. so when he's his lightsaber's taken away and when he force grabs that gun mm-hmm. and shoots at his heart I just, I, I, this is the only time we see an, uh, Obi-Wan ever use a gun yeah and yeah when he shoots his heart and the inside of Grievous is, is uh, lights on fire and Obi-Wan just keeps shooting and the fire grows and grows and grows and literally Grievous's eyes burn out of his head. That yeah. is gruesome. That is, I mean, that is borderline R-rated stuff. Yeah. Uh, and that is, that is like Obi-Wan as a badass. He like literally, that's that's Han Solo stuff. That's a Han Solo kill. What he does there. And yeah, when, the way he just th- like it's, ah, so uncivilized and throws the gun away, like it's a you know like it's a banana peel that he's finished with. It's like oh, I I loved that bit. It's a great moment for the character because it pays off what you remember him saying back in episode four. It's like, it's a much more elegant weapon. I'm not crude yeah. like a blaster. And you never see him pick up a blaster. He doesn't feel the need to do that. And, you know, what, what makes that even better is you watch all this and then you go and watch episode four and you're like, oh, man, that totally makes that character so much, so much deeper. Yeah, the fact that he was like, yeah, I could use that, but what's the point? You know, I don't really want to, I don't yeah. want to shoot you. That's yeah, I, I don't know. It, but it does go back to the to the uh, old rule, and it is the rule from the good, the bad, and the ugly. If you're going to shoot, shoot, <laughs> don't talk. And, and Grievous falls victim to that rule once again. So in uh, that way, it works. I was I was cool with that, but uh, I don't know. I I I guess personally, I was like, I'd been cool if he beat him with a lightsaber. But I see your point. It is neat that he doesn't, and it is unconventional, and it gives us something different there. But that's that's the end of the separatist, you know, army. Really, I mean, we've cut the head off the snake for real now. And not only to admit that, but the, you know, the droid army is getting completely destroyed by the clones, you know, <laughs> as you would expect. So there's all that going down. Meanwhile, and this is a short end of it. There's a battle going on between the droid army and the Wookies on the Wookie planet, and we get to yeah. see Chewbacca and Yoda hanging yeah. out. Now, how are you with that? Oh man! I mean, when I in that again, that going back to that trailer, all out of nowhere, we see Chewie doing a roar. When I saw that, it's like, oh my god, Chewie's going to be in there! And of course, again, like when you say, you know, Grievous should have been in all three. I watched this movie, and I'm like, would it have been that difficult to shoehorn Chewie into this entire series? I mean, because like we don't really know Chewie's age or how old he can be, so really, he could have been in all three of the prequel trilogy. That's what came to mind watching him in this. But yeah, when he's there, when you see Chewie standing there, and you can, I think, I, you, it is Peter Mayhew, and I think you can tell. The way he moves his head, it's like, that's Chewie. It's like, what was it? In Empire Strikes Back, uh, Peter Mayhew had a day off, and they got someone else to stand in for Chewie. They finished the dailies and looked at the dailies in that day, and they said, you can tell it's not him. 
we got to reshoot it with Peter Mayhew because you can tell that it's not the same guy. You can somehow you can tell he has a way of moving that is just unique for the the size man he is, and it's all about his mannerisms and stuff. It's just the way he works in that suit. It's just some people get it. I mean, it's just it's how he does it. You know, it's uh, it's one of the things that I do kind of miss. It, it, the CGI Yoda is. It looks good. Don't get me wrong, but I miss the hand puppet. But even Frank Oz told Lucas, like, you don't, you don't need me. You just need me to do your know, voice work. <laughs> now you don't need me in the booth because you can make this look awesome, you know, by yourself. And <laughs> I did like the fact though that he and Yoda were buddies, and the way Yoda like uses the the Wookies in fights, you know, like he'll yeah. ride on their shoulders, then he'll jump off and he'll just cut shit in half, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like it because that's exactly what we knew Yoda could do last time. You know, yeah. like we've seen Yoda in a fight. We know he's good. And I like the fact that the Wookiees are really good. It, it also makes me even madder at uh, Return of the Jedi because I'm like, it would have been so much cooler if the Wookiees were in the battle with the Empire. I could totally buy that. <laughs> you know, it's oh, yeah. the, the freaking Care Bears. But, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I said on the Jedi pod, how it would have been great if, you know, the Wookiees were in that battle. Because that was the original plan. When, mm-hmm. when Lucas wrote Jedi, it's like, it's going to be on the Wookiee planet. And then he changed his mind. But then he makes Sith. It's like, I now have all the money in the world. I can do whatever I want. I wonder if that was 100% a, like semi-apology for, okay, look, yeah, I know the Ewoks were lame in, in Jedi. You wanted to see the Wookiees. Here we are. And I love how and I love how we get Ewoks in Ewok suits. They're CG when they're in some of the action, but like we get a bunch of real Wookiee suits. There's no CG involved in their eyes or their mouth movements. It's like when, when that one Wookiee stands up with the spear and, and the, the whole army rises up and roars with holding their guns like like that is lucas like on fire it's like where was that in the last you know two movies you could have the wookies been in in, in the whole thing and i just i love how we see this planet again that was just something we wasn't expecting in sith out of, out of nowhere it's like oh by the way we're going to show you what chewbacca's planet looks like yeah it's there's like, green luscious planet it's kind of like dagobah but with the sun Instead yeah. of the swamp. I mean, it really is. I mean, that's what it looks like to me. I was like, I could see how Yoda could hang there because it yeah. would be his kind of place. <laughs> you know, oh, it yeah. sort of fits his little motif. And I don't, you know, here's the thing. I, I, to be a little bit cynical, I'm not so certain Lucas didn't go, well, I've already made money off the Ewoks. Let's make money off freaking Wookiee toys now. <laughs> you know, or somebody said that to him you know, somewhere along the way. So, I, you know, I, just to be a little bit of a cynic. But I like the battles, too. I think it's, it is cool. But the most intriguing part of the the trifecta of the end of act two for me is Palpatine's final pitch to go get, to get Anakin on his side. Hmm. Anakin goes to him to tell him the, you know, he's trying to tell him something, but he doesn't know how to tell him. And he just reads his mind basically like you, you need to tell me that the Jedi council told you to spy on me, didn't you? And it makes you uncomfortable. Like like, he's already seen it coming, which I thought was amazing that he, he perceived that. And I love how Anakin's response to that is he draws his lightsaber on him. And just like we talked about before with Dooku talking about, I can feel your hate and anger, but you don't use them. Pet, uh, Palpatine lays the same thing on him. He's like, I can feel it burning through you. And it's almost like he's getting off on it. You know, yeah. and it's just so he's like, you are so badass, and you don't even know you are, boy. Yeah. And I thought that that is just dark and just nasty. And I, I love, loved how that just plays on Anakin. And it's not a quick turn. It's not like he's like, okay, I'll be on the dark side now. He goes back to Windu, I think, with the intention of saying, I've, I've learned a terrible thing. And I think if they, I'm going to say this now, if Mace Windu had let him go with him, I'm not sure that he would have totally turned over. 
Maybe he would have. I mean, obviously he would have because that's the story. But you got to wonder, like, the way he gets sort of shunted off by the rest of them again, if that doesn't make him go, screw y'all, and, yeah. and be his own man. Oh, yeah, that absolutely. That's been something that's been bugging Anakin this whole time. It's like, I think there's a part of him, it's like, that is like, literally, I, I was a slave for the first eight years of my life. Um, and now I'm and I, I'm, at the, I'm the chosen one of the force apparently, and I still like when am I not gonna have to take shit from the Jedi Council? That's one of the things that motivates him to do all this stuff. It's like I think deep down inside, even though he says what have I done, I think there's a part of him that was like that felt good to cut Mace Windu's arms off because I think he hates Mace Windu. I think everyone hates Mace Windu. I think like he's maybe he's good at what he does, but I think you know everyone in the Republic would be like, yeah, Mace Windu, he's he's okay, but he's like he's got no charisma, he's a dick. Oh yeah, McDermott. You talk about how when he shifts his voice in from you know soft to this grizzled thing, and yeah, when he's closed his eyes, it, yeah, it's like an ecstasy moment. He's like, yeah, I can feel it makes you stronger. He's just like, oh man, it's like sick. Uh, I think I'd have to watch all of Star Wars again, but I think I'd be pretty safe in saying, I think we have the best scene, directing and filmmaking wise, George Lucas has ever done, where. Where uh, Anakin is in the Jedi Temple, I think it is, in the council room, sitting there alone. Yeah. It's sun, sun's going down, and he's staring out across the city to where he knows, you know, uh, Padme's apartment is. And we cut to her, and she's doing the same thing, like the same shot, like uh, mirrored, where yeah. the same distance away from the Jedi Temple, and this eerie friggin' music that we haven't heard before. I've never heard like John La- uh, John Landis, John Williams. <laughs> make music like this it's like really spooky eerie you know sci-fi kind of music almost reminds me of like something you might hear in a john carpenter movie or something yes uh, and yeah and there's, and there's no dialogue but they're they're clearly like looking at each other across the city mm-hmm. and they're having a psychic link uh and there's no dialogue but we know what's going on i don't think lucas has done a scene that good before and that's another thing i watched this film and it's like imagine if like lucas made a movie in the vein of like the artist where there's no dialogue. I, I guarantee you that'd be a good movie because clearly that's his weakest point is, <laughs> yes. is writing dialogue. But clearly when it comes to action or just visuals, he's amazing. There's a reason he was, you know, up for best director for, for 1977 star Wars. And yeah, that scene always stands out to me watching that. It's like, man, this guy's, a, this is the great director that who, you know, went with Scorsese, Coppola, and Spielberg. Like they, that's why he's a buddy with those guys. And the reason he wasn't nominated for this is because of his longstanding beef with the, you know, Director's Guild and all that stuff. So the Academy was yeah. never going to let that happen. He'll get, <laughs> he'll get the Oscar as an honorary someday. Probably, if they're still alive, you know, Spielberg, Scorsese, and Coppola would give it to him the way they did with you know, Scorsese for The uh, the Departed, I'm sure. Yeah. But and, but this, this would have been deserved, at least the nomination here. He probably should have won in 77 but this one I I can see it because I'm with you that was an excellent scene because it's not so much they even have a psychic link with each other it's the fact that they are both thinking about each other wondering what each other is doing they're thinking what the other one is doing and they are both misguessing what each other's motivation is at yeah. that point and it's just it's the turn to the dark side it's what's it's what's happening in front of us it's a it's a really dark scene and he makes a fateful choice at that point i'm going in there whether they want me to be there or not hmm. and of of course uh, this that you, yeah you could bring up a good point like that moment is anakin's turn to the dark side we don't thankfully they don't say it 
But what it is, is hearkening back to Yoda saying, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate. That is exactly what's happening. It's his yes. fear of Padme dying that leads him to all this horrible stuff. And again, it's like maybe not a good screenwriter, but of dialogue, but as a from a story point of view, that is fantastic. The way they do link it up. There's like they make it realistic. Like, how did this guy turn to the dark side? And it happens in this movie. It's like that makes sense. That is how it would happen. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's you watch it turn, and it, it comes down to where I. How about Palpatine breaking out the old lightsaber there? Oh yeah, I thought that was cool. And he takes out the Jedi besides Windu pretty fast. Like he, it's there's some members of the Jedi Council. I took it, and he cuts through them like they're not even there most of the time. Oh yeah, when when it's a nice line when when Windu shows up and says, "In the name of the uh, Senate, you're under arrest." And Palpatine stands up and says, a great line delivery, it's treason then. And out of nowhere, like like, like Christoph Waltz and Django Unchained with the gun showing up under his sleeve, out of nowhere, he's got like, I love that Palpatine has been walking around with a lightsaber in his sleeve these entire films, just in case shit goes down. Yeah. And, and it's like, that's, this is why he keeps one in his sleeve, because when he pulls out a lightsaber, it never occurred to me, again, another great moment of Star Wars, it never occurred to me that the Emperor ever used a lightsaber. Uh, because and he why he doesn't have one in Jedi is because well he doesn't need one does he because he can has the whole force lightning thing, but when he pulls out that lightsaber and turns it on it's like oh man this is gonna be good and we get that a really decent fight scene and with with him and uh, Windu where, where there's no stunt work involved they're not going super fast it's just two very strong you know very like strong attack lightsaber guys no stuntmen at all just Ian McDermott and Samuel L Jackson having a lightsaber fight. I love it too, and it it harkens back to more of what we would come to know as lightsaber fights from the yeah. original trilogy. It's it's the power. It's not so much how fast you can be. It's you know how hard you can swing the thing. And these two guys are going at each other pretty pretty tough. And at one point, Windu's got him backed in the corner when Anakin rolls up and he lays that force lightning on him and he catches it in the lightsaber, redirects it. And we explained something I never needed explaining, but it, it, I totally get it now. Like all that force lightning makes the emperor look like the gross frog emperor. I've heard a few people say that they, they, they did not expect it. They thought maybe he just looked like that in Jedi because maybe he's 120 years old. Or yeah, that he's just that was just age. But mm -hmm. the, when all of a sudden the lightning is like his own force lightning is being directed back at his face again, it was like, man, I, so that's how it happened. I never would have guessed. And I, I just love how, for the first time, we get a window broken in Coruscant, and we see what happens when the window breaks. It's like you're, it's like you're in an in a airplane, and you and you open the doors. It's just like the the wind is just like a hurricane through through there, just whistling. You're at like at the top of a skyscraper, the tallest skyscraper in movie history, probably, when you break down how high they are from the ground. And I, that's just a great image when the, when the window breaks. And yeah, this, uh, when he starts using the force lightning, again, it's like, there he is. He's using the, for the first time, here's our guy, the emperor, using the force lightning. Of course, Anakin has to step in, and he's given a choice. He's like, don't listen. You know, Windu's yelling at him, don't listen to him. Uh, Palpatine's like, I can save the ones you love, but you got to hurry because I'm not going to last long like this. And it's, you know, he's giving him a choice, and Anakin makes his choice. He cuts off Windu's arm, then the Emperor gets a breath, nails him with the Force <laughs> Lightning, and throws, you know, Mace Windu off into the Nether regions. And I, I don't know, I was like, wow, what a dark moment. And I love how Anakin just slumps back and against that chair at the end of that, like, 
what what have I done? What have yeah. I done? Like it's he realizes that that moment I've now crossed a line I can never go back. And I, there's some people that will say when he killed Count Dooku he was Darth Vader at that moment. Mm. I, I disagree with that. This yeah. is when he becomes Darth Vader. This is when he realizes, I, you know what? I don't care anymore. Just save my wife. I'll do whatever you want. You know, and he gives himself over. You know, we talked about Anakin doesn't want to be a slave to the council, but he makes a decision. Fine, I'll be the slave to the Sith. Hmm. And that's what he does. Oh, yeah. Like, and uh, I made sure to write this down. It's like, yeah, when, when Palpatine, first off, I think Sam Jackson either requested or Lucas told him, it's like, you're going to get a great death scene. Or Jackson said, I want a great death scene. Mm-hmm. And that's what he got. That is a fantastic to be singed all by the force lightning and then shot out into Coruscant where he. He's probably killed by the fall. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that moment, it's 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 a kind of an awkward moment. It's like where it's literally silence of like where the audience is like, what the hell just happened? I, we just got saw Mace Windu get killed. And that moment is the beginning of the end. It is the birth of Darth Vader, not just in name. And from this point until the end of the film, up to this point, it's been more of prequel trilogy type stuff. It's been the best of the prequel trilogy type stuff with General Grievous. That's all that action is very much prequel type stuff. Once it's once Mace Windu is gone, uh, this movie kicks into gear and becomes you know best of 2005 type stuff. And this is where it's like in, in the back of your head, it's like you're thinking there's only an hour left in this movie. And we and we know it's going to link up to Episode Four at some point, and so it kind of gets more tense like that. It's like any moment, like not any moment, but like for the we know in the next little while, everything everything's going down from here, and it really does. Uh, and oh man, McDermott in this scene, I love how for like he literally just sheds any any uh, shred of uh, the good Palpatine, and literally I love the sound design. On his voice, they make it sound like the dark side of the force is booming inside yeah. of him. The way his voice is like echoing, and when Vader says, "I will do whatever you ask," and just this so deep, where he just goes, "Good," it's like it's like Satan type yeah, stuff. It is. It is very much, but it harkens back to what we knew the Emperor would be like, and what he was like in that throne room in Return of the Jedi. It was like, "Great, you cut his arm off." Yes, you know, it's just so. But he still he'll roll back into that oh i'm afraid you know the yeah. moment any any second and i love how that plays too it's so great first off when he says henceforth you will be known as darth vader and then the empire theme kicks in for the rest of the movie the empire theme is everywhere yes. I, I didn't i didn't remember that when i was watching this last time it's like geez they use the empire music a lot and man isn't that music great but my and i gotta say this when the emperor puts on a black cloak and when he puts that hood over his head yeah and it's like when he when he just has a singed face, he doesn't look like it. But when he has the hood obscuring his face and putting the shadow over his face, it's like that was a huge moment for me. That's like seeing James Bond in a tuxedo or Batman in the suit. It's like, oh my god, that's the now he's really the emperor. And uh, my, and my favorite moment in this entire prequel trilogy is when Palpatine says, "Once more, the Sith will rule the galaxy." In that real snarly voice, and then he goes super soft and he says. And we will have peace. Yeah. And smirks cut to the Jedi temple. It's like, that is my favorite moment of this movie and of this prequel trilogy. That's the moment where I'm like, that is, that, that's when I think of why Ian McDermott might have been up for an Oscar. It's like, that's why that soft delivery on that line. It's like, that is, he is just evil with a capital E just, 
Oh, it's an amazing moment. It is. It is a grand moment. And then he sets the last part of his plan into motion. Order sixty six. It's time, Kurt. We got to talk about the Grand Order sixty six. Basically, the clones. Order sixty six is shoot anything known as Jedi a lot, <laughs> and that's yeah. what they do. They just go about in all the different battles that are in galaxy wise. Jedi start getting picked off, like like the way the droid army gets picked off. I mean, they don't suspect it that you see Jedi leading troops through a, you know, a swamp or whatever. And then all of a sudden the Jedi realizes I'm just surrounded by everybody with guns all of a sudden. Hey, fellas, why you got the guns up? And then they just get blasted. And it's 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 mob executions, man. I mean, it's it does. It's not as weighty, but it plays. I don't think in any small part the way that the executions at the end of the first Godfather play. I think that's how Lucas wanted mm. us to look at this, is that it's the same kind of thing going down. This is where Vader and the Emperor, he helped the Emperor portray the Jedi and murder them. And this is the murdering of the Jedi, you know, galaxy-wide. Oh yeah, this again. It's like this, that ten, let's say that 10-minute chunk between, you know, the fight starting with Mace Windu and you know, the next 10 minutes where the Jedi start getting picked off, that's the best part of this movie. Uh, we just, the, the music is so good. This is like, with sad music. And we see like these Jedi, this Jedi fighting on some place that looks a lot like Cloud City. And we just see the shot, like he's leading the charge and they start following and the clone troopers. I think we go right, we just close up on their feet and they stop because we know they're turning their guns on and they just, they blow them away. Because it's another thing, it's like, in clones and so on, we see how good the Jedi are. There's that thing in your mind, back of your mind. It's like, well, how the hell did anyone get the drop on these guys? How do you defeat the Jedi? And of course, the thing is, the last thing the Jedi would ever expect is to be killed by their own guys. Mm-hmm. And that's, of course, that's the that's the Emperor thinking. He's planning this all ahead. He made that clone army with the 66, you know, the, with the prime with the prime directive number four, <laughs> like in RoboCop, you know, little insurance policy of mine. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he knew that the army is good, like that line in clones they, and they'll do anything you say. And so Palpatine puts in order 66. And yet when we see that one guy get shot down and then we get this great planet, I think Lucas, Lucas's favorite planet he ever designed. It's like a flower planet. Beautiful, beautiful effects. And I find this to be a very sad image of this gorgeous, you know, a fluorescent blue, you know, Pandora before Pandora type stuff. Mm-hmm. And this image of. And the sound of the AT-AT walkers that, you know, that great, you know, clunking giant sound. This And the image of these steel walkers trunching through this floor. It just kind of, that got me sad to see like, this is, this is the, that's the, that is the empire. That's yeah. the kind of stuff they would do. And, and then they blow away that Twelic uh, Jedi, who's Jessica Alba, who, uh, I don't know how she got involved in this movie, but that's Jessica Alba. Oh. And when, and then when Yoda, we just see the shot of Yoda's cane hitting the floor. I teared up immediately i've seen the film six times when i saw that i i, I just about started crying when his cane dropped because like we we know that jedi like when the death star blew up alderaan we see the obi-wan is just shaken because like mm-hmm. some real bad just happened and of course yoda is feeling the biggest disturbance in the force ever as so many jedi are getting picked off in a very small amount of time and he can't take it like we've never seen yoda worried before and just like this is the wisest character and you know movie history maybe and so to see him concerned and scared it's like that really seriously got to me to seem like he's like it was like having a heart attack well we saw him when anakin took out all the sand people 
in the last movie, he had that whole moment where he got a headache or something. He's like, oh, Skywalker's in trouble. Great pain. You know, and this is 30 times that because now it's all of his his family, his friends. It's everything he has fought for being destroyed in front of him. And he's realizing none of us were powerful enough to see this or stop it. And it's almost like, again, as wise as he is, he's affected by it personally. But Yoda's also looking at it going, how did we miss this? How did we not see this coming? And he gets his wits about him just long enough to realize, wait a minute, there's two clones standing behind me. <laughs> and, and he you know, double chops their head off and the Wookiees are like, great. Ben. Yeah, what the F? <laughs> you know, <laughs> And then they're, you know, so it's like they say in Wookiee, you know, and, yeah. and they're he's like, oh, I got to get out of here, boys. You know, it's time to go. But, you know, the only ones left are him and Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan gets shot off of his lizard and, you know, falls to what they think is his death. Barely he survives that. I mean, he survives it amazingly and is able to sneak away and uh, reunite with Yoda and uh, the senator that we'll talk about in a minute. But yeah, it's, oh, it's a great moment. But, but the, the harrowing moment is when you see that clone army led by Darth Vader walking up the Jedi temple steps. Oh yeah. And it's like, Oh, that's going to end badly in there. And you hear the sounds of the Jedi army blowing that temple to bits, you know, destroying history. This would be as if, uh, let's just give it a, an equivalent here. Let's say somehow or another in World War II, the Nazi army marched on the Vatican and burned it mm. to the ground. You know, that's sort of what we're supposed to be seeing right here. And the darkest of all of it is Ooh, yeah. Anakin walks into a you know room of younglings who are hiding behind chairs kids no bigger than jake lloyd and the one that talks to mm-hmm. him looks a whole lot like jake lloyd i'll just go ahead and say <laughs> and he turns the lightsaber on and all you see is that kid flinch and you know what happens anakin cuts them all down oh yeah that, that oh, is messed up <laughs> oh yeah like the kids i also didn't notice the kids that come out of hiding and they're all holding those little lightsabers we saw them training with in uh so it makes it I, that made it even worse to me when they say Master Skywalker, there's too many of them. What are we going to do? Lightsaber gets turned on almost like Darth Vader is saying, oh, you got a lightsaber. Like, oh, you want to go? Like, it just there's like that's they don't say that, but that's like, yeah, that just adds to it. And when that lightsaber got turned on in the audience, there was an audible gasp. I don't know if I've ever heard an audible gasp like that and where and murmurs of like, whoa, because I think the audience was not ready. For it to go dark. They knew it was going to go dark in this movie, but even I never knew it was going to be dark. I could, that dark, I could not believe it. And of course, the cutaway, that's the best thing to do when it comes to horror like that. It's because then your imagination takes over. Yes. Because of course, there was no way in hell you would, you could <laughs> see that in a, in a PG 13 Star Wars movie ever. You don't even see something like that in Schindler's List, yeah. but in your, in your head, you're picturing what Anakin does in the next 10 seconds. And it's like, that is, well, it's the moment of like where he can't, he, now he can never come back. This is, yeah. this is Darth Vader's turn. It's like, okay, that's it. It's over. He's well, never coming back. Up until this point, you've made a decent enough argument for members of the audience to go, you know what? I kind of get why Anakin has turned to the dark side, but you've got to give him a moment where he does something where people go, eh, can't, can't abide that can't forgive that no he's bad darth vader's bad like where you realize he deserves to die and you and why everybody wants to kill him that's in the rebellion you now understand why is that he is 
the darkest soul of them all. As dark as the Emperor is, and he's he's dark, no doubt. Darth Vader commits atrocities that you just can't. Uh, it can't be uh, skewed under the, the rug. Like the, there's no way, and he justifies it later on. That's the really messed up thing. Is it's like, yeah, I had to kill them. So what? They all turned on us. It's just about yeah. me, you and me, Padme. And she's like, um, you're really scaring me now. <laughs> you know, I'm like yeah. no, 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 no. You cannot be a serial killer because that's what he is at the end of this, and that is that is dark. And we meet. Senator Organa, also known as Jimmy Smith. I was like, NYPD Blue, yes, Jimmy. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, where's, uh, where's your partner? But, you know, and I love how the one youngling kind of gets out there and starts chopping down clones before he gets shot. And he's like, oh, okay, I'm getting out of here now. You know, <laughs> and he's he, along with Padme, are the two that are like, um, are, are we the only ones that are not for this whole Galactic Empire thing? Because that's when Palpatine announces the creation of the Galactic Empire and the Senate just applauds, you know, and Liberty dies to thunderous applause. I was like, that's a great line. People banged on that line so much at the time. And I was like, y'all are reading way too much into this. That's a great line. And it's perfect for this moment. That's exactly what's happening. That's that's the observation that needs to be made. And her character is the perfect one to make it because she's the idealist uh, to the very end. Yeah, the Emperor saying, and then we'll have peace. That's my, you know, favorite moment in the movie. Next favorite moment is him saying, the Republic shall be reorganized. And when he said that, the the way he pauses it, I think Lucas knew this is for the fans, that pause. It'll be reorganized, and it's like, say it with me, the first galactic empire. And I, I just love the line, for a safe and secure society. And th- that, you know, raises his hands and you know basking in the applause that's a great another great george lucas moment in my opinion oh absolutely it's a fantastic moment and i thought uh, again well done and well played by all involved i i really really dug it and as we see uh, you know obi-wan and yoda reunite with this senator um because they get the the distress calls from him and he's like hey meet it with me guys there's stuff going down here we need to talk and they go in and look at the archive footage and they realize what has happened you know how the jedi temple has been destroyed and they're trying to put together the pieces and Obi-Wan, uh, Yoda's like, you've got to go take out Anakin. You've got to do it. And Obi-Wan's like, I can't go kill him. I can't, I can't do it. And it's the same kind of you know conversation that Luke had with Yoda in Return of the Jedi. It's like, I can't kill my father. You know, and Obi-Wan has to make the decision of like, you know, I've got to go take out, you know, my brother my son, if you will. And that, that I can't do that. And can I do that? Well, you've got to, there's no choice. And I love his, his ideas. Like, well, I'm going to the source because yeah. he, I think somewhere he's always known and has just let it go and maybe tried to hope for the ideal that it wasn't true. I think he's always known Padme knows a whole lot more about Anakin than she's supposed to. And they're way mm-hmm. too into each other. And he goes to her and I love how he puts it all together. He's like, you know where he is. You need to tell me. And she, you know, won't say, won't say. And he's like, He's the father, isn't he? I'm so hmm. sorry. And just walks out. And I thought, wow, how how dark is yeah. that? I mean, it's just a, a everything is just getting down and down. And I love how Padme goes to Mustafar to see Anakin. And Obi-Wan knows she's going to go after him and hides on the ship. Like, what a great, again, Obi-Wan's a hmm. great detective. 
<laughs> like it, yeah. But it totally makes sense that when you watch him now in episode four, it pays off everything they already set up about him. The way he's able to sneak around and take out the tractor beam and nobody notices yeah. him. He's been doing it his whole career. <laughs> I mean, this yeah. is kind of what the guy's good at. He's a spy and he's great. And I, I really dig the fact that all of the, really the rest of this is going to go down on Mustafar. Uh, we've already talked about the uh, slicing and dicing of the Separatists so uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and our joy for that. So that's done. But this is when he crosses another line, as if Anakin can't cross a, you know, a line enough here. He goes to Mustafar, takes out all those those idiots, and then Padme shows up, and he runs up to her like, yes, you're here. And when she won't go along with his you know, evil plan, he gets all jealous at her about, like, this is all about Obi-Wan, isn't it? I'm sick of hearing about Obi-Wan. And I was like, oh, this is going to end badly. Yeah. And he starts force-choking his pregnant wife. Hmm. That is messed up. Yeah, I mean, I just love I love that scene how Padme puts this in his head. It's like, why don't we just like forget the Empire? Why don't we just leave? L- yeah. w- let's just let's go to Naboo. We can just leave it all behind. Mm-hmm. And Anakin's just like, I've got you know, I've, I've come way too far for for this. Like, I've made like we don't have to hide anymore from. But like, who cares if uh, a Jedi has a kid? Like, you know, there's no Jedi left. Like, no one can tell us what to do. I've made the galaxy safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I love how the, the great sh- great cut when Anakin, while she's talking, a- Anakin is looking up and there's Obi-Wan standing in the door with his hands on his hips. It's like, you better not touch her because some, you know. And then when he says, you're with him, you brought him here to kill me and force chokes her again. Like, you know, like who is the first person, you know, uh, a Palpatine uses force lightning on Mace Windu. It never occurred to me again that the first person Vader force chokes is his wife. Yeah. That is messed up because we, you almost think maybe, oh, is he going to use it on like a, is he going to use it on Mace Windu? Like it's going to be like a badass moment. It's like, no, 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 no. This is not a badass ability. There's nothing positive about the ability to force choke someone. So we're going to show it to you in the most, you know, uh, disgusting way you can. It was just, this is a guy strangling his pregnant wife. Like it, it, it would, it almost be, it's, it's just, it's like this is the Star Wars version of if, 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 it's, if he ran up to her and started strangling her. I got the yes. same. Like emotional reaction from that. It's like, oh my God, I, I can't believe you're doing that. It's like horrifying. Well, and, and it's the thing is that what you realize is that Anakin, the thing he's always wanted is power. And yeah. now he's finally got it. And by damn, nobody's going to tell him he can't use it the way he wants to, even yeah. her. And I'm like, the thing you have done all of this for is because you don't want her to die. And now you're about to kill her, moron. You know, and I was like, but you know what? I get it. I totally buy it. I'm like, I get how we got here for this Mm. and how Obi-Wan gets him to turn her loose. And then they face off in an amazing, amazing lightsaber fight. Take out the extreme visuals and the fact that this happens around all this lava and all this stuff and just the fight itself. Every bit of the raw emotion of that Obi-Wan versus uh, Darth Maul fight in this one and taken to the next level. A great lightsaber fight. Oh, yeah. And I love the lead up, their discussion, how Obi-Wan, this is Obi-Wan. He really hasn't seen the dark. He doesn't know about the Sand People. I don't think he ever knew that. I think if he did know that, he would have been the first person to say, can we send Anakin away to some kind of rehab because this kid is messed up. So when he sees him saying, you know, I've brought security to my new empire and Obi-Wan's like, what do you mean your new empire? Like, God, you really lost it. And he says, well, if you're not with me, you're my enemy. And I love the way you McGregor plays it. It was like, only a Sith deals in absolutes. Yeah. I'll do what I must. Picks up that lightsaber. And 
when Anakin says you will try, I just that's one moment I think Lucas you should have changed it up. That should have been a close up on Anakin's face where he should smirk when mm-hmm. he says that. It's like you will try, and they start the fight. I just think it's one moment where I just think, eh, Christensen didn't nail that moment enough, but they bring us to the point where in all these films we know a few things got to happen. The Emperor's going to take over, Jedi get taken out, and we know there's going to be a fight with Anakin and Obi-Wan at some point. And that build-up we've had for three films now, as the, the, the build-up to it and the payoff, again, delivers. That is an insanely choreographed fight scene. I mean, you got like anyone watch the DVD to see the amount of training these guys did for that fight scene. The amount of moves... It's a Jedi. It's the, exactly the kind of Jedi fight scene you, you you need, where it's just nothing. They just never stop swinging. It's such an extremely fast fight. Of course, it's you know a lightsaber is way lighter than a sword, so you can move move three times as fast. So it's, it's insanely fast. It's ridiculously fast. But it's again the power and the, behind that scene. These two best friends, blue lightsaber against blue lightsaber. That's another image that stands mm-hmm. out. And to see these two guys fight each other, even though we know it's going to happen, it it's still just you. Know, it really did it, get to me. It would be like because we know how that fight ultimately ends. You know, Obi Wan sacrifices himself so that Vader can take him out. Luke and yeah. the guys can escape. And it makes that fight seem so much more dramatic now than it yeah. was, and it was pretty dramatic then. But now it's like these guys can't move like they once did, and in the back of their minds, you know, both of them are like, well, we're, we're kind of shabby compared to what we were <laughs> back on Mustafar. But the hate has never ended. They're still at each other. All those years later, and to see the genesis of that, it would be like if you had if you had seen uh, the the Rocky three fight at the end where Apollo and Rocky are friends and they're just kind of sparring in the ring a little bit, and then yeah. years later you saw the first fight and you're like, oh, now I get it. Like, yeah. like if somehow or another you saw Rocky three before you saw Rocky one, go back and watch the fight at the end of Rocky one, and you understand completely why. And <laughs> maybe the one in two too, because it's just as brutal as yeah. as watching two guys just be gladiator against one another until to the death almost. And th- that's that's what we have here is a fight to the death. And I love how it ends. I love how Obi Wan tries to call him off one last time. I've got the high ground. You let it go. Stop now. End this. And when he leaps at him, what a great move. Take out the one real arm and the two legs and leave him to burn on the side of the, the, the volcanic river. And Ewan McGregor really just spills his guts there. Yeah. On, you know, how could you do this? Just what it does to him. And you see it turn Obi-Wan into this, uh, you know, untrusting person that he is you see why he has no love for vader at all and never develops it even as his ghost form he doesn't really encourage luke to go for the good side of darth vader it's like nah he's just twisted and evil and oh yeah i i love how he arrives at that decision i get how obi-wan has that point of view now oh yeah like they don't talk very much during that fight scene but when they finally do get a second and and obi-wan says i i failed you like i'm Mm -hmm. i you're my Padawan. This is yeah. the last, like, this is the whole point of a of master and Padawan is that this, that this doesn't happen. So I clearly, hearkening back to, you know, it was supposed to be Qui-Gon. This mm-hmm. wouldn't have happened with Qui-Gon. Happening with Obi, this is why it happened because Obi-Wan's not a good Jedi master. He's yeah. good at what he does otherwise, but it's like, he's not good. He's not a good teacher. He's, yeah. he's, he's a terrible teacher. And say, like, I'm sorry, you know, I failed you. And, and Anakin's saying, you know, says, you know, I should have known Jedi for power, you know, like Palpatine's evil. Well, I think the Jedi are evil. And I love the delivery on the line. 
where Obi-Wan has totally given up on this guy being his friends. Like, well, then you are lost mm-hmm. and I'm going to kill you. Uh, and yeah, I love first off when he, and then he cuts his arms off. I just love that little thing of explaining how come Darth Vader is so much taller than Hayden Christensen? Well, because they cut his legs off and we can make his new legs any height we want. Exactly. So actually, I thought I think they did a pretty good job. Hayden Christensen is kind of a tall guy anyway. They did a yeah. pretty good job of getting somebody that could be tall. He's not David Prowse tall, but he's tall. Yeah. That's him in the suit at the end of the movie. That's Hayden yeah. Christensen. They let him wear the suit. So, I mean, it was a big deal. So on set, like you watch the behind the scenes stuff and like the crew stops and applauds when he comes mm-hmm. walking in the set, you know, because it's that's a big moment, you know, to get him in that suit. But before he gets to that suit, man, I, you talk about a, a a scene that is skirting the edge of what a PG-13 film could be, the volcano burning him to pieces. That Ooh, was yeah. that was pretty rough, man. I'm not going to lie. Like, I've, I've seen burn victims. You know, I've had friends that have been, had, a, had a family member severely burned. Mm. Uh, you know, and I've seen his scars and stuff, and I can't watch this and not think about that. It's like, oh, what a, what a horrible way to be punished, essentially, because that's what's happening oh, yeah. here. Yeah, because uh, I got one more th- like it's another thing we got a, like a checklist is like how does Vader's head look like it does in Empire when that helmet when we see him the guy sneaking to look at him but without his helmet is like well how does he end up looking like that and when we see the volcano planet in the trailer it's like okay that's how how the hell is that gonna work and then yeah. we see when he catches on fire I mean I I I can't think of another movie where we see a guy light on fire like that and because like you feel it it's like that that is pain full looking stuff just like you just reaching out with the one hand he can't even crawl away if he wanted to from the fire just oh and then he ends up you know charred vader yeah exactly he's charred at the end and i i'll give you one film that that gets close to this for me and it was made years before it backdraft um Mm -hmm. there's a scene where one of the young firefighters gets hit with a with a big wall of flame and you see like him get blown back his oxygen oxygen mask cracks and as he takes in a breath he draws the fire right up his hose to himself and it just fries his face i mean it's it's horrifying you know but it's the same kind of thing i'm like man they really played this well and obi-wan leaves him for dead on the side of that volcano you know to go back and you know now he's got to go back and tell yoda what happened and what a hard moment oh yeah and the way you mcgregor he really this is his best performance of the three films when he's just screaming like you were the chosen one like Mm -hmm. this isn't this is not supposed to happen like you're supposed to bring balance to the bring balance to the force not leave it in darkness like this of course hearkening back to that prophecy you know prophecy that misread may have been i always like the idea that misread like balance to the force means you know it doesn't mean everything in harmony just means everything the same which means everything dead like that yeah. that's your balance is that well we're going to eliminate the force by killing all the jedi exactly. i love that little that little twist of course we didn't mention as good as the obi-wan anakin fight scene is uh my personal favorite in the film is yoda versus uh, the I, I was getting there because that's the other part of what's going on while that okay. fight happens yes please please go on well first off uh again when yoda says no no you you take on anakin i'll you're not powerful enough i'll take on the emperor I did not expect to see a fight scene between Yoda and the Emperor. I didn't think we were going to get another fight scene with Yoda. I thought, you know, Attack of the Clones, that's going to be it. And, you know, then Yoda's going to go off to Dagobah. But no, we're going to get one last Yoda fight scene. And it's, I think it is better. Like the first one in, in Attack of the Clones was really, it was for the laugh, I think. It was really to get the audience uproarious laughter. Uh, there's not that, I don't get that uproarious laughter uh, in Sith in that fight scene. I really just got a powerful fight scene. And I love how 
the emperor, you know, hits him with the force lightning and he walks up to him. He's like, I've been waiting a long time for this. My mm-hmm. little green, little green friend. Cause yeah. you know, <laughs> Palpatine hates the Jedi. And if he hates the Jedi, he really hates Yoda. No one hates Yoda more than, you know, Darth Sidious than the dark Lord of the Sith. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then that, you know, the fight scene happens where it's not as fast as mm-hmm. the, it's, it's very much just, you know, Yoda leaping off a wall, leaping down, you know, block and so on. And then, of course, my favorite bit of it is where they're fighting on this platform and it rises up into the Senate chamber where, again, I did not expect to see that location used as an action scene. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, it's like when the Batmobile turns into the bad pot in Dark Knight. It's like, well, how did I not see that coming? Yeah. That we're going to get a fight scene in this arena in, in, in the Senate uh, floor because it's a man what a great location for a fight scene I love the image of it empty empty for one and you know they're just having this lightsaber fight and I love Emperor smashing you overhead you know symbolism picking up the Senate seats and using them as weapons uh, <laughs> to try and crush Yoda it's like that's you know that's the Emperor's you know that's the Emperor that's Empire politics for you or something. It's, exactly but, that's exactly what's supposed to be happening though but I'm with you it's a great fight not because of the speed of it like it was with Dooku and stuff but because of how much you really get how these two don't don't like each other, hate each other. <laughs> like Obi-Wan and Anakin are fighting over ideals and against each other's, you know, who's going to control my life, basically, is, is what's happening there. And it's much more personal. These two, it's, I, no, I'm the ultimate good, you're the ultimate bad, and it's go time. And then they go at each other for I it's a it's a grand fight. I, I agree with you. And I love how they, they essentially throw the Senate at each other because yeah. they both have different ideas of how that should work. And that's exactly what's happening here. You know? So, well, no, this is how I'm going to use it. And oh, it's great. Oh yeah, and it's great. And uh another a visual effects probably my number one favorite bit of visual effects where it really like got me like cringing, like, ooh, is when Yoda is hanging on by his fingernails and they're scraping against like whoa that that was that was messed up to me that was like oh that was like a great gross out moment to me it's like oh man he's scraping he's gonna his fingernails are gonna break on this thing it was like oh man that's a great moment oh it's it's grand and i love it and i love how it ends in the stalemate yoda has to retreat you know because he can't beat him and i'm like we just saw yoda lose like he didn't die but he lost the fight that's that's dark And it it totally makes sense of why he does that whole bit about I got to go in hiding because I can't I can't be exposed like this anymore. I'm I'm no longer useful as a Jedi master. I've got to walk away. And I was like, wow, that is that's hard to see. But it's it it lets you know how wise Yoda really is, is he realizes even I'm outgunned against these people right now. They've just got too much on their side. Again, yeah, it's it's. uh... It's sad. It is very sad to see Yoda lose a fight because he did so spectacular in in clones. To see him just like walk away, it's like, well, that's it. Like, super, I guess, like Superman admitting defeat. It's like, well, if I can't if I can't beat the Emperor, I'm no good at anything, am I? Right. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, I forgot to mention that bit where he drops the cane and you know feels it, uh, and that moment where he's where he loses against the Emperor. It 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 adds to the moment in Jedi when he tells Luke. You know, when I'm gone, the last of the Jedi will you be? That's the feeling I got when he dropped the cane and when he says, I got to go into exile. Like, you know, that's it. If, you know, the Jedi are done, Yoda has lost a fight. That's it. Jedi are over. Yeah. There's no, there's no more Jedi to, to 
rule the galaxy now. They're done. Their time is over. It's now, you know, it's the revenge and it's really the rise of the Sith. You know, that's what this is. And we know what that looks like. We saw its uh, fruition in the other other films. So, I, yeah, what a what a dark, dark, sad moment. But they, they reunite with uh, the senator and aboard the ship. You've got two things happening in hospital wings. You've got Padme essentially giving up on life. I love how the, the robot's like, she's just giving up on life. I'm like, hey, you're a robot. Can't you, like, electronically make her not die? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But but I, I've always just sort of lost that line out of my head, like, throw that line out, throw that line out, because it's a bad line, as to, you know, he probably broke her neck, you know, before choking her to death. Yeah. So she's giving, you know, premature birth, presumably, to these children. And they're trying to save the lives of the children and her. And on the other side of it, you've got another birth happening you've got the emperor who finds vader and is like oh that looks bad but you know what i can fix that we can do something with that and so we have the technology yeah like we've well we did the grievous thing but this is even better there's more of him left you know and they take him off and we see the vader costume assembled around you know the burnt husk of anakin and it's Ah, it's a rough, and that moment right before the mask comes down on Hayden Christensen's face, that look in his eyes, the last minute of hesitation, they snap it on, he stops breathing, and then that mechanical breathing starts, and it's like, he's, Anakin Skywalker is dead. That's Darth Vader. And what a, uh, what a tough moment to see. And on the other side, Luke and Leia are born, and Padme dies, and she's just gone. And now you've got the two left Jedi, these two kids and the rogue senator trying to figure out what they're going to do, you know, and because the world has gone to hell in a handbasket, literally in the last two days. Oh, yeah. All of these. That moment. I mean, I I call that the birth of three characters that Mm -hmm. you got, you know, the birth of Luke and Leia and the rebirth of Darth Vader. And I, lo- I just love it when the robot says she's carrying twins. Again, that's the audience knowing, oh, that's right. Like, they, of course, they forgot that they're twins, like Luke and Leia. Yeah. And when she sa- when she sees them and says, Luke, and then Leia, I, that, again, I got almost got a little choked up. It's like, oh my God, there's, there's Luke Skywalker. Like, this whole time, it's like, we've, we haven't seen Luke in, you know, since Jedi's like, he's only just born, but there he is. Uh, and yeah, when the helmet, we see the, what he sees through his eyes, like this red, you know, uh, uh, you know, heads up display. It's like, it's like Terminator readout almost. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, of course, that adds to it. It's like, well, of course, he's going to be a kind of a vicious bastard if he sees everything in red. Like that explains why he's such a, you know, uh, heartless, adds to the heartlessness that he, everything he sees well, is red. It, and it lays a lot on that last line. Let me see you with my own eyes just once. Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that again uh, today before I was just thinking about that moment in Jedi. That moment made it so much more powerful thinking about because now we see it's not just like he's looking through a pair of glasses you know, like or a two way you know mirror a one way mirror or whatever. It's just like or uh, uh, but yeah, when the mask gets sealed, Empire the brooding Empire theme gets on and the helmet gets sealed and we hear that breath. It's like oh shit, <laughs> that was. I mean, I love the visual effect of we see the smoke in the room gets blown away by the breath, something we haven't seen before. That adds to that moment so much. And oh, man, in the theater, you can you almost did want to clap when you, or, or, or something when you saw it because like there he is. There it is. There's Darth Vader. And when you hear James Earl Jones's voice, 
total cliche, but it's like seeing, hearing an old friend that you haven't seen in 22 years since right. 1983. And to hear that guy's voice, it just, even though it's a, we've seen him do some pretty horrendous stuff in this movie, to hear that voice, it was, it's a, I almost want to say beautiful moment because just like, there he is. There's Darth Vader. It's like, it's like if E.T. showed up in a movie or, it's like, or if Indiana <laughs> Jones walked in or something. It's just like, there he is. There's the best character in Star Wars, uh, 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 in the Star Wars saga. There he is. He's finally back. Yep. Kind of took a long time to get here, but but there he is. And and, and I, I will tell you, had they had just left it at the Emperor saying Vader arise, and he's like, yes, Master, and they had just left it at that, I would be just cheer up and down. Yes, yes, yes. The fact that they have to slam in this stupid little conversation they have, and the no, that, I was yeah. like, I'm sorry. I, I can't give that a pass. That's terrible. That's groan, yeah. groaning, inducing terrible. But I know what Lucas is trying to do. He's just wrong. <laughs> it's just oh, yeah. bad. It's just bad. But, but I, I do like I like his anger. How how everything around the room starts getting crushed by the yeah. force. That I love. Yeah. But yeah, it would have been. You almost should have had the real like have Obi Wan tell Anakin on the volcano planet you killed her. Have the have that be the moment. Have Hayden Christensen say no, scream no. Don't have James Earl Jones scream no. You know, because of course, then they put that. No, it's like, you know, as if we didn't like that. No enough. Let's put it back in Jedi. It's like, yeah, son of a bitch. That's that's why when I watch both of those movies at those pivotal moments, I um, either selectively. Well, in Jedi, I just selectively don't hear it. And in this movie, I just hit mute because the music's so cool in Jedi. That moment, I want to hear the rest of it. And this one, I'm just like, I'm just going to mute that for a sec. Yeah, no, no problem. OK, boom. they, they could yeah. have. <laughs> They could have made it how instead of saying no, he just like yells in like a primal scream in James Earl Jones's voice. That I think that would have been better or something. But yeah, I, yeah, if they just cut it with "Yes, Master," and that's the last time we see Vader in this movie or something, that would have been fine. But uh, but yeah, this, him saying no, it's like kind of in the way he kind of breaks through his constraints, like you know, stumbling. He's like it's like he's kind of stumbling a bit the way he walks. It's like. I know he just got his legs for the first time, but it's like, yeah, it doesn't look that good. It doesn't like, I think it's a little too Frankenstein. It is. And I think, I mean, no one, I I don't know if anyone would have known if they did this, but they should have got David Prowse for this one shot. You'd like literally like, there's no way to really know. But I think if you got David Prowse, I think it would be different. I think you could tell like Peter Mayhew. I think you could tell. I think that's him. He like the exact same height and so on. Like I think, that they should have got Prowse for that because he would have done the walk a little bit better. But uh, but yeah, seeing Vader, uh, into, like uh, that is a highlight of the cinematic year of two thousand five. It's like you know that beats seeing Batman. And Batman Begins. It's like there's Darth Vader. And and it's the setup for everything else that we know happens in in episode four. It's uh, Yoda. I'm going to Dagobah. And uh, the senator says, well, my wife and I can't have children and we'll take the girl. Okay, that goes to Alderaan. And then um, Obi-Wan's like, well, what do we do with the boy? Take him to his family on Tatooine and you hang around and watch him and I'll teach you how to commune with Qui-Gon in the meanwhile. And I thought, oh, that, cool. I, I wish they had shown that, you know? Yeah, so. that I, – I don't know. I'll tell you. The reason – I would have loved that if after he says Qui-Gon, if maybe if Liam Neeson showed up, but – the fact that they just dropped that there uh, of 
oh yeah, so you're going to talk to Qui-Gon. So I thought, okay, here comes Qui-Gon, right? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't come back. I thought they should that should have been a deleted scene. On, if, if Liam Neeson came back and filmed himself as a blue ghost, and he's the first you know, blue force ghost, that would have been great. But the fact that, Lee, that Neeson doesn't show up and just like, eh, that, I don't, I don't really, uh, of course, it does set up how, how Obi-Wan does come back as a ghost. It, it, it sets up how Obi-Wan would know how to do that. Because we hadn't yeah. seen anybody else do it, and so I, I'm okay with it for the fact that it, that it does set that up, and I'm actually cool that they don't show me that. It would have been great. I was sitting here, I just said, you know, oh, it'd be great if I saw Liam Neeson again. But the fact that he's not there, I'm like, yeah, but that's okay too, because now at least that explains that. Because it's yeah. never been, and I'd never bothered to really ask how that worked, but now I'm like, well, okay, that does answer that, so that's that's fine. I'm cool with that, and I love the, you know, the binary sunset is takes us out of the film basically, as you see the Emperor and Darth Vader watching over what will be the Death Star being oh, yeah, constructed. And, there's, and like, it, there, there's like a, there's like four things that happen in a very short amount of time. One always got a great. I saw the movie twice in the theater. Always got a great response is when. The senator says, I have the protocol Joy's memory wiped. It's like, that's yeah. one more thing we needed to happen. Because yeah. you have to have that happen. Otherwise, you're going to have you know C-3PO meeting Luke. It's like, oh, yeah, I saw you get born. That was that was fun. Your dad's Darth <laughs> Vader, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and and then we see a planet that... Again, <laughs> see, if C-3PO told him that, he could go, who oddly enough is also my dad. So, yeah. Like, yeah. So we have this, we're brothers. <laughs> Of course, and and the next thing is we see a planet like Kashyyyk. I wasn't expecting to see, but we get to see Alderaan. Mm-hmm. I don't think they say it, the word Alderaan, but that's clearly Alderaan. It's like one more like you know nod from Luke is like, hey, by the way, here's what Alderaan looks like. And of course, you have to make it the most beautiful looking mountain planet so that when it gets destroyed, you're like, well, that makes it that much it's, more. It's like the planet of Colorado gets exactly. destroyed. <laughs> I mean, it and, really is. <laughs> And yeah, the, like I said, the, the last hour of this movie is just, you know, perfect. The way the music, they use the Empire theme a lot. And of course, when we're on Alderaan and we see, you know, baby Leia, the Leia theme starts playing. And again, maybe it's because just watching these movies in a row like this I've been doing the last little while, that just made it so much more powerful to hear that Leia theme again. And uh, Vader and Emperor on the execution. I think, yeah. Do we not see the blue Star Destroyer, the executioner? Yeah, we do. They yeah. are they are on board that, watching the Death Star being uh, initially constructed. And again, it's like that was another moment of like a seeing an old friend. It's like no green screen, just this is the here we are again on the bridge of the executioner. There's all the guys in the Imperial officer outfits. There's a guy who looked strikingly like uh, uh, Peter Cushing. Uh, Peter Cushing, there's Grand Moff Tarkin, and they're just staring off at looking at the construction of the Death Star. They don't say a word. They're just, you know, staring off at it. And it's like almost that. And, and when I was watching the movie, I thought, oh, OK, so we're going to here we go. That's the last shot. It's like, nope, got one more. Mm-hmm. We're on Tatooine on the homestead. They filmed this. In, they filmed this in 2002 uh, when they were in Tunisia, because I guess Lucas knew there's only one way to end this series. This yeah. is prequel. So they filmed it. With those actors, with Joel Edgerton, and I can't remember her name, who plays Aunt Brew. And we get the Luke Skywalker theme, that that, that softer version of the you know the end credits uh, music. And it gives him off the kid, and Obi-Wan standing rather far away. That really just illustrates this is their relationship. He's going to be... He's not going to be that in depth in their lives, but you know he's always going to be there. Like, like every, everything's going to be okay because Obi Wan's there. There, two of them are holding Luke. 
and they start off into that same binary sunset, same shot, and that music kicks in, the binary sunset theme. And then watching it last night, it's like, it really, really hit me. It's like, this is it. It's weird because it's like, it made me think, okay, this is it. That's the end. But then it's not the end. No. This is the beginning. <laughs> like, it may almost made me forget. It's like, oh, yeah, this is the start of the next trilogy. And of course, I can't watch this movie without immediately wanting to watch the original trilogy again. And I think I'm going to. I got to watch episode four again because you can't watch that, listen to that binary sunset music and that shot. It's like, I got to watch Star Wars again. <laughs> I'm addicted to Star Wars in this moment of when you hear that music. But yeah, oh man, could not have ended the movie any better. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they wanted you to feel that way. And I'll, I'll tell you now, I walked out of the theater having seen this and went home and watched Star Wars Episode Four when I walked out of the theater. I was like, got to see it right now. Got to watch it. You know, it was just on my mind. I had to do it. And it was a rewarding experience for sure. And a, and a, a fitting way to end it. And it's also not the end, Kurt, because, hey, there's apparently there's a lot more of these coming in the near future. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, so we'll you want to talk about those when those happen eventually. But for now, to wrap this up, final thoughts, recommendations, popcorn ratings for Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Well, uh, in case it hasn't been clear, I'm, I just flat out love this movie. This is one of the best films I've ever seen. This is one of the best films of 2005. And I will, this might be controversial. I'm going to just flat out say it. I think Revenge of the Sith is a better film than Return of the Jedi. Certainly, the last hour of Sith is better than the last hour of Jedi. And I want, if anyone disagrees with that, find me on the Fabish Factor and prove me wrong about how much more powerful Sith is compared to Jedi in that respect. But the first hour of this movie is the best kind of, you know, Lucas doing the kitty prequel stuff. And it's, you know, fantastic action. Grievous, again, is a fantastic character. But when that turn happens, when, when the emperor puts on that cloak and calls him Darth Vader, you know, we shall have peace from then on until the binary sunset. This is one of the best films I've ever seen. Uh, just so powerful. Like in that same way that, you know, watching game of Thrones now, just, uh, it's so much more powerful having gone through it for, you know, the 39 hours leading up to the season four finale. That's how I felt watching Revenge of the Sith because I have all of the Star Wars trilogy and all of the prequel trilogy leading up to this ending of Sith. And it just, just made it just so epic. And, and it just got me in my heart like that when Yoda drops the cane, I just about started crying. And it's just like, I, I wasn't prepared for that. I've seen the movie a bunch of times, but it just, it just got me going so much that moment and it just the dark it just goes so dark the birth of darth vader darth vader is at the same time as badass and as evil as he ends up being in empire strikes back and the bottom line is that you know lucas it took him two movies to try everything out but in revenge of the sith he he finally delivered on the promise of when he in 99 or whatever whenever he came up with it in, in 80 after 83 when he's like I'm going to come back to these films at some point. I'm going to tell the beginning of the story. Revenge of the Sith delivers on that promise. And this is absolutely a great Star Wars film. And is George, it's, 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 uh, I think it's a masterpiece. It really is. It's, it's great, great. This absolutely goes on the list of my just absolute favorite films. And I give it nothing less than an extra large popcorn. You know, I watched this film, and like I said at the beginning, I've never watched it and had a bad time with it at all. 
And I didn't again in the two times for this review. I find myself so thoroughly entertained by everything that happens here. Even though I had questions about some of it, and there's some of it I was like, yeah, that's a bad line. But I can sit all of that to the side going, you know what, though? This is a great Star Wars movie. And beyond that, it's just a good movie. It's just fun to watch and get invested in and to be a part of this and to see it all lead up. And if a movie can that, that is made... 20 some odd years, you know, 30 years almost after its original inception, it comes around and it, it makes me want to go watch those and be a part of it and still keep them all together. And, you know, again, that's a sign of a great movie. Uh, I, you know, I have the same experience with other films than in big series too, that call back to earlier iterations. And I'm like, yes, this is why I like this series. And I feel the same way about this one. Uh, I absolutely love revenge of the Sith, a fun time all around a really fun movie to watch. And, and there's stuff going on there, too. It's not just popcorn fun. This is not just Michael Bay, turn your brain off fun, you know, if you want to have fun with that kind of stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on here that's deep, that's dark, and is very well played by everybody involved. Um, from the Emperor, Ian McDermott's performance, even Samuel L. Jackson doing what he's doing. Ewan McGregor gives a great performance. Hayden Christensen gives a good performance. And I say Natalie Portman gives the best performance she's given of the prequels in this one. I really liked her in this one. And there's just so little about this one that I don't go for that I'm with you. I can't give it anything less than an extra large popcorn. The best of the prequel trilogy by far, and certainly one of my favorites. And you've kind of hinted at this, so I was going to get you to tell me. Rank the Star Wars films for me now that we're at the end of the series, Kurt. Just in terms of what you enjoy, rank them one to six for me. Here we go. I would say, let's start from the bottom. I, I'd say... Uh, number six, let's call it number uh, 876, uh, is <laughs> episode one, The Phantom Menace. <laughs> then, I, number five, I go Attack of the Clones. Number four, I go Return of the Jedi. Number three, I go Revenge of the Sith. Number two, A New Hope. And number one, as it will always be, the best Star Wars film is still The Empire Strikes Back. You know how I rank these is not so much in that order. Is If I'm going to tell someone that knows nothing about Star Wars to watch Star Wars... You know, how do I want you to do it? And I'll be honest with you. The completest in me is like you need to see everything. And I always, you know, I saw this T-shirt this week that just made me laugh. You start with the original trilogy. It's just good parenting. You know, and I'm like, yes, you must start with that. But if I was really going to tell somebody just to watch Star Wars, and I'll tell you, I've actually done this. If I just want to watch the saga of Star Wars, this is how I do it. I watch episode four, episode five. And then I'll watch episodes two, three, and then I'll watch episode six, <laughs> Return of the Jedi. And Because you don't really need anything in Phantom Menace. You get all of that in Attack of the Clones. Yeah. You get to see the full circle. You see future, future, let's do a flashback, flashback. It's kind of like the way Godfather 2 works, and then you go forward. And even as clunky as Return of the Jedi can be, it's still satisfying in the end, and it, it makes all of that ring home. And I'll tell you, too, watch Revenge of the Sith, and then watch Return of the Jedi. And watch, you see Darth Vader created, and you see him destroyed. Destroyed, and it, it's so it's such an emotional ride to do it that way. Um, I adore these films. I think it's pretty clear. I mean, it's one of the reasons I wanted to do the series, and I have enjoyed them and enjoyed talking about them with you. This has been a great ride for us the whole way, and definitely, you know, the most ambitious series. I said that. Uh, continuous play could ever take on would be Star Wars, you know, because there's just so much stuff. What do you do? What do you not do? Well, what you do is you do what we do. I'm going to tell you. You take the six movies and you just break them down. <laughs> and uh, over the last uh, 12 hours of podcasting, <laughs> that's pretty well what we've done, man. 
So it has been a great ride. Thank you so much for joining me on this. Kurt, this is your first series with us. You don't, you know, a few yeah. one-offs, but great to have you on a continuous series. Definitely we'll have to do this again uh, on uh, maybe something a little, little lighter. Who knows? So we might yeah. have to get this deep every time, but uh, definitely have you on again. Tell folks what you got going on on the Fabish Factor Film Podcast right now. Well, first, I just want to say thank you for having me on this. It has been an absolute blast. Breaking these films down in such detail has absolutely made them better, in my opinion, not the opposite. Breaking down clones has actually made that film a better film, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, uh, the Fabish Factor Film Podcast is a place where we where we get into similar discussions. We get to uh, pretty in-depth into various films, such as the Alien films, Batman films, and films of a various year, we just released the best films of 1986 at the time of this record, and we get very in-depth on that. It's the most in-depth I think we've ever gone uh, in a single you know, episode. And of course, we could break down the Game of Thrones, pod, uh, the Game of Thrones uh, series as well. And you can find all of those on iTunes and on Continuous Play, and you can find the Fabish Factor Film Group on Facebook, where we get into very much the exact same discussions, just through text, and through... There is where uh, basically I've gotten ideas for podcasts as well. Like I wouldn't have done Best Films of 1986 if it wasn't for that forum. So you can find us all on Facebook and iTunes. Absolutely. And I tell you folks, check out the show. We got a lot of shows of continuous play you can watch. You can, you know, you, or you can watch, you can listen to, you can go through film strip and we got a little bit of everything. I mean, we got this, we got romantic comedies, we got straight up comedies like Caddyshack hmm. go way back in the day uh, with Anna and I, or, you know, we've even got stuff like good horror films. I mean, we got Hellraiser going on, you know, all kinds of stuff there. We've even got cheesy stuff like Leprechaun and No Holds Barred and just <laughs> a lot of fun stuff there. Also got linked to the art of slang, seven seasons of Buffy the Vampire. Fire Slayer. Episode by episode review, Brian and I have gone through all of that for you. And even extras that we've thrown in there, too, where we review, like, the Buffy movie and movie starring Buffy people and movie directed by Buffy people and just all <laughs> kind of random stuff there. Even the unaired pilot that you can only get on YouTube. So, I mean, all that's there. You can also find a link to Brian's other podcast, Squared Circle Flashbacks, where he goes through the uh, pay-per-views of the past of the WWE, WCW, ECW. Talks about those with me and several other people and breaking those down. It's a lot of fun, as always. And we've got some really cool stuff coming up here on Filmstrip, the back half of 2014. I'm so happy to be able to tell you this. Uh, we're bringing on a new podcast member. The family grows, Kurt. Uh, Ron Hogan from denofgeek.com has joined us. He's a, a friend on Twitter. I'm married to a, a personal friend of mine, and so he and I have gone back and forth. And uh, again, as if you will spar with me on Twitter, you most likely will wind up on a show. And, uh, <laughs> and that is uh, that is how it happened. And Ron will be joining us to do... Uh, we're going to do some, some Golden Globus Canon Films action fair. Uh, his first series is the American Ninja series. Nice. And, I'm, and I'm happy to tell all of you, you can watch every one of them on YouTube for free. So just <laughs> go ahead and get your Michael Dudikoff on and join us as we get into some American Ninja. And then the biggest, longest series we've ever done of continuous films uh, this uh, fall, Brian and I are going through all 10 of the Halloween films mm -hmm. from John Carpenter's 1978 original through Rob Zombie's 2009 Halloween 2. We're doing every Halloween film. That's going to be our Shocktober, if you will. Uh, it's going to actually run from August through October. So a big, <laughs> big series there for us. And then, you know, we've got plans for lots more fun stuff, too. Some one-offs here and there, and then maybe a surprise series to close at the end of the year. That's all I'm going to tell you about right now. But big stuff coming here for us at Continuous Play. And as always, for free, for you, 
we don't charge. We don't do donations. We don't do any of that stuff. That's all cool. That's other people's bag. Great. Go for it. I, I participate in that for other podcasts. I'm, I'm down for that. But our show is by the people for the people. So please let people know about it. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. And like Kurt said, hook up with us on Facebook, Twitter. Let us know if you agree, disagree, spar with us. We have fun with this. This is all for fun. And we want to interact with you guys. And we really appreciate your support. We're just a bunch of film and TV nerds, okay, that all live in different parts of the world. I mean, literally, you know, we got people, we got podcasters from, from Alabama to Canada. You know, we, we cover it all uh, here on the show. I, I don't think there's another show out there that's as broad as, as our set of hosts are. If we ever all get in the same room at once, it'll be a miracle. But, uh, but we really try to hit a, and in, in as much as we are a variety of geography, we try to hit the variety of stuff too. So, Please let us know what you think and let us know what you like. And, you know, you never know. We might we might take a run at it if it's if it's worth our time. So, again, Kurt, thanks for joining me on this show. It's been a blast as always. We'll hook up again soon. And, folks, thanks for listening. Check out more at ContinuousPlayPodcast.com. Until next time, for Kurt, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. May the Force be with you. Thank you for listening to our Star Wars Retrospective Series. May the Force be with you.